Welcome gamers to Last Call Gaming. This is our show, Last Call Reviews. My name is Craig Perales, and joining me on today's episode of Reviews is Mandrew Montemayor. How are you, my good sir? Back at it again, like some franchises. Ooh, and today's guy, the, uh, the sh game we're going to be discussing is Mortal Kombat 1. Now, if you guys aren't familiar with Mortal Kombat at all, it's a fighting game developed by NetherRealm Studios, published by Warner Brother Games. It is the 12th main installment in the Mortal Kombat series, serving as both a sequel to Mortal Kombat 11 and the series' uh, second reboot following Mortal Kombat. So, um, it's on, it's so weird because it's on PS5, it's on Xbox Series X, it was next-gen except for the Nintendo Switch, so it kind of skipped over Xbox One and PS4, and it's getting really good reviews on, on, on Xbox and PS5, but it completely tanked on Nintendo Switch, so before it, we go any further, I mean, what, I mean, I don't even know why they even released it on that. Uh, I don't know if maybe a contractual obligation or something, but it does not look good, and I wonder if... I don't think it could be a skimped effort because you could tell how much like love and care that they put into this game, especially too generally when they do like from Mortal Kombat to Injustice and Injustice 2, they're usually on the forefront of pushing like what facial animations and stuff can do. And we'll get into that too yeah. on this game that I don't think it was like really their problem. I think it was more just a hardware problem. Like, Hey, this is what we could do with the switch. And I guess it just is well, what it, it is. It, I mean, it came out for like, I think it was a full 60 or 70 bucks. 70 bucks, yeah. and that's why people are pissed. And you have every right to be, but who's buying Mortal Kombat on the Switch? I don't yeah, understand. Yeah, family-friendly system. But I think Ed Boon was on record saying that they are fixing it all soon. So, I mean, they did what they did. But it did come out and sell well. I was trying to look for exact numbers of what it did, and I couldn't find anything in concrete. But what they are showing is that um, Mortal Kombat has officially passed 80 million copies, making it the best-selling fighting IP um, followed second by Super Smash Brothers at 72 million units and Street Fighter at 50 million units. So before we get into kind of the review about it, I just was curious, do, do you find it odd at all that, that there's still a huge appetite for Mortal Kombat, especially going into the 12th one in the series? Or, I mean, because we all saw the trailer. We're all like, man, this looks really good. This looks like how a reboot should be moving. And, or do you think it was really anticipated? Does it surprise you at all? Or does this look like just another check mark for Mortal Kombat? I don't think it surprises me. I think that it is well-deserved because what they do that's different than everyone else, like Street Fighter, this new one had a story mode, but I don't know that people like really cared for it. Like you, I know who Ryu and a lot of the Street Fighter, Street Fighter, Street <laughs> Fighter cast is. Kinda... And I know some of their stories, <sighs> but there's never really been a story mode. Whereas when you're following Mortal Kombat, it's not just about like tight, good gameplay and having fun and the different modes you can do, but it is... Oh, Especially since they rebooted it, it has been a consistently really good story. I think 10 was the only one that was maybe okay-ish to good, whereas the other ones have all been, like, excellent thumbs up. Nice. So, yeah, I did want to um, point out that uh, that I don't think the appetite's gone at all because we just had Street Fighter Six come out, which sold pretty well. Mortal Kombat's coming out doing very well. And then we have the new Tekken coming out, I think, in January of 2024. So it's just kind of crazy that you see these three big franchises all kind of coming out back to back. And it doesn't seem like it's slowing down. And people are really still wanting to play these, uh, you know, these epic franchises. And I think there's room for all three because all three are, like, very different as far as, like, how the game works and the gameplay function. Yeah, perfect. So, guys, we're going to get into this review slash spoiler cast. And again, this is just going to be about the rebooted storyline of the campaign and what we thought about it and how it kind of moved from chapter to chapter. So we're not going to be breaking down the fighting mechanics. We're not going to be going over the online play, the invasions, and the towers, which are all fun and exceptional to play. This is just going to be about the main campaign. And before we dive into it, um, 
compared between the two of us, Andrew knows a lot of like the lore and the old games and the original kind of stories and characters. So he's going to be able to kind of point out what the reboot was actually able to do, where I'm kind of looking at it more like, you know, a fr someone fresh going into it. So that's something fair. Yeah, because I think as far as I played like every Mortal Kombat, and I always go back and read the other ones. But I think for you, you've only more recently done X, X eleven, and then this one. Yeah, because that's I think as long as we've been doing the show. So like I think right when we were doing it, Mortal Kombat was still hot. But yeah, I wouldn't be able to remember all of them. And that's hey, that's where you come in. So I'll try. Um, so guys, so get it started. This game has a total of fifteen chapters spread out over four acts, which in also includes a uh, prologue and an epilogue. And each chapter is played. All the way through with one character and possibly a cameo character. So before the main prologue starts with um, its main cutscene, you kind of get this open narration from Liu Kang kind of explaining what he's doing with this timeline. So I'll read this real quick and maybe have Andrew put it into context of piggybacking off of the last game and moving into the reboot. And it says, Having liberated the hourglass and become keeper of time, my next task was to restart history. Not beholden to past events, I was free to craft a new era. It was with humility and restraint that I approached this blank canvas. After careful preparation, I began work. Painting over the darkness, after eons passed, I sketched out the realms. After eons more, I brushed them in with life. In my new era, all beings will have opportunity to find peace. Whether or not they do will, uh, will, be, will uh, be their responsibility. For my power only permits me to begin this endeavor. It is the duty of mortals to finish it. So this is coming from now Lord Liu Kang. And if you are jumping into this straight you know, um, fresh, most people from Mortal Kombat are going to remember Lord Raiden kind of being the main guy. So before we dive into it, Andrew, just kind of put me in context of, you know, where's, you know, Time Lord Liu Kang, where is this coming from? Is this is this coming off of the last game? Yeah, so this comes directly at the end of Mortal Kombat 11, where you find out time has been being manipulated by Kronika, who is just trying to create everything perfect, and she's rebooted the timelines multiple times. Liu Kang defeats her, and he essentially takes over as the the time titan of time and so now he um, like he's narrated he's doing trying to create a new era but again he can only create things and set things in motion he cannot you know individually influ or i mean he can influence someone like we talk to him but he can't he's, it's not all being controlled so it's up to everybody to kind of do their part so he can only put the pawns in play and from there the rest of it is just you know, falling to fate. So what he's done is kind of, I mean, and what we'll see is the game is he just, he kind of puts people in new places to kind of maybe rebalance the skills in a way that we've never really seen before, right? Right, and it's some people, uh, we'll, we'll, well, yeah, when we get to that, other people have new tasks, so maybe instead of being this big high grandstanding person that was bad, maybe gave them a menial sort of life is to sort of balance it out so that way it kind of is just peace across the galaxy. Perfect. Okay, so let's open up with the prologue and it starts off with this old man selling these potions to the villagers and promising these, um, you know, these hearing results. And as we move forward, we find out that this is Shang Tsung and it's old man Shang Tsung and they're in um, Outer World, which um, this is clearly not the Shang Tsung that we know being the powerful sorcerer. This is kind of this um, haggler, this kind of guy that's selling uh, snake oil and he has villagers confront him that say that you know they bought his potion they found out that it was fake that it was nothing but tea he actually takes a pretty big beating <laughs> and at the end uh, when he's kind of you know looking at his wounds he takes off the the beard and things you can you kind of see this new young version of uh, Shang Tsung and he's approached by this strange woman who later we find out the name that she went by was Damashi and promises to restore his power and bring him back to you know that he's been he's been kind of um 
played against the whole time in this timeline. And, and you can see that it definitely catches his entrance. So as an opening, how did you like seeing Shang Tsung, a new version of Shang Tsung, you know, not the powerful sorcerer? I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was great, especially too. I'm like, oh, all right, he's old, whatever. But then when he removed the beard, I'm like, oh, that's really cool too. I, I was telling Craig immediately, this is my new favorite character. The person who does the voice acting, especially the facial animation, everything for him. He is so good whenever he is on screen, just even talking to somebody so condescending and yeah. arrogant. Like he is just so great. I, cause I was almost even a little worried too. I'm like, ah, oh, going to this game, like Shang Tsung, if he's the big bad guy again, am I, it's just a completely, I would say more revamped version that I felt. I was like, man, I'm totally not over this. I want more of it. And then, yeah, he is approached by that person that's, you know, you have been held down your whole life, that there's bigger things at work that are keeping you from reaching yeah, your full potential. Keeping you tied down. Yeah. And I like that idea. I'm like, dude, this is the perfect setup for, you know. Yeah, I thought it was really cool because, like you were saying, instead of Shang Tsung instantly being, you know, the big bad, it's this, you know, he doesn't, he's not really living a life of, of grandeur at all anymore. And, uh, yeah, so I thought it was a really interesting catalyst to start the game going. So, uh, moving, guys, into... Um, act one, we have, uh, three different chapters within act one, which is a new era, uh, Mr. A-list and the chosen one. So chapter one, starting with a new era is your main character is going to be, uh, Kung Lao. You're going to end up fighting Raiden, Smoke, Scorpion, and Sub-Zero. Your cameo fighter in this is going to be Raiden. And the stages that you actually get to play in is going to be the, uh, is that the Fenjian Tea House? And the Fenjian <laughs> TL State and so this is the best I can say. <laughs> and night. So as as it starts, um, you see Kung Lao and this new version of Raiden, who are kind of look like they've been best friends. They're farmers from this village. They kind of have this competitiveness against them. Um, they're kind of it seems like they're working all day. They end up going to um, a tea house, which is um, under the guidance of Madame Bo. So before we go any further in that. How did you like the way the new Raiden looked? And is Madame Bo, is she from other games or is she new to this? I think she's new to this. I don't remember her from any sort of past game. I actually really like her character and like what she ends up being almost like that interim, like Liu Kang's outside interference right. of training these guys. Because like Craig was saying, um, they're just humble farmers for yeah. now who do train to fight. <laughs> yeah, who do who do train in combat. But it seems like it's more for like self-defense. They're not a part of like the Wuxi Academy or the Order of Light or anything like that. Yet Kung Lao actually doesn't even have his hat yet. He has like a straw hat that's not metal or anything like that. And I was like, man, that's a pretty cool start that they're still humble. Kung Lao still kind of has his arrogant side. It is cool to see like a Raiden without powers though. And may and I'm like, oh, is, I wonder if this is how he was before he became the protector of Earthrealm. So he's almost takes the role of like Liu Kang, you know, just very humble and just hardworking person yeah. How, and fine with being in this, if I'm a farmer the rest of my life, I need it here and this is okay for me. Yeah, yeah, very humble. How did you like playing uh, Kung Lao? In, I mean, because I kind of want to point out, because after everyone you play, you know, everyone has different abilities, so I w just want to point out, you know, if you like playing with them, if you didn't, I, um, at a scale from, you know, dislike, like, and love, I put Kung Lao in like. I, I thought he was... Uh, uh, I thought he had some cool abilities. I mean, obviously he gets better later on, but I mean, I, I thought he was a pretty decent character. Yeah, I thought he was okay. I mean, it, it just depends, though, too, because when you first play him, again, he doesn't have his hat. He doesn't really have, like, too many, like, powers or anything like that because they don't know about that kind of stuff. They think it's, like, myth, and they're kind of getting to that later on. So I'm like, okay, you know, for a starting in the story, this totally makes sense. Awesome. So as they go to the tea house, 
Um, this is where you meet the, I always say it wrong, is it the Lin Kuei? Lin Kuei. The Lin Kuei. And uh, you see Smoke come out, who is now a member of this clan. And it seems that they, they, seems that they want to extort Madame Bo for protection money. And, you know, Luke, uh, Kung Lao and, and Raiden are kind of sitting back, you know, kind of analyzing the situation. And this is the first time you actually are going to meet Scorpion and uh, Sub-Zero, who are, are now officially brothers and under the same clan. They get into um, a big, massive fight. And they kind of, you know, they beat them. And then this is where Liu Kang kind of comes out and says that it was a test. He kind of, you know, confers with Madame Bo. You know, are they ready to step up to the challenge of being defenders? Um, so I don't talk to me if, if there's anything I missed. Anything you ever want to add, definitely chime in. But this is our first look at Sub-Zero, Scorpion, and and Smoke, and, you know, Lu the Lin Kuei, New Clan. I thought it was a really cool tie-in. Yeah, so this is actually the first biggest change is the Lin, uh, you find out at the, oh, well, actually, we'll get to that. So anyways, the Lin Kuei, they are brothers now. It is still Bi Han as Sub-Zero, but now Kwai Lang, who is the Sub-Zero who takes over for him after Bi Han died in the first tournament with a scar over his eye and subsequently in the rest of the Mortal Kombats, he is actually Scorpion now. Yeah. And then Smoke is their adoptive twin brother. So I was like, oh, I really like that. And I like the way that they mesh together too. I thought that was like a really cool take because I was like, oh man, all right, cool. I'm still having all my favorite people here and now in a different capacity that totally works though. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because you can kind of start saying that uh, Sub-Zero kind of has this anger issue you know he's kind of like because they they're like they say they were pulling their punches and that you know if they wanted to beat him that they could have and it was just kind of more for the test and you can kind of see this anger that's definitely going to build up in sub-zero and i forget has sub-zero always been just kind of a rageaholic wasn't that kind of more of scorpions like uh attributes scorpions more yeah but that's because he was like kind of trying to avenge his family so in this one he again because he's part of the lin Kuei, he doesn't have his wife get killed or anything like that so he's not driven by rage but I do like during the fights when you see it is Kung Lao goes to throw his hat, but it's just the, pit, yeah, the, the straw right. hat. So it just hits him in the back of the head. But then from fighting with them, he finds this other like metal thing and he ends up cutting Sub-Zero with that and he throws it. And that's where he gets the idea for, oh, maybe I should yeah, do that yeah, to my hat. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, so that was kind of cool. It's, it's these little nods that you see that, you know, you can see how they're going to build and tie in these things that, you know, from the from the old school game. So uh, anything else with chapter one? Uh, the ending, uh, Liu Kang shows up, and again, that he reveals himself to them. And Madame Bo, obviously, has been training them, prepping them for when he will need them for the tournament that they're holding now. And the Lin Kuei are revealed to be, instead before, they've, oh, they, I mean, they've always been a clan. In the first games, they were kind of fighting against Earthrealm, and then they do completely turn against Earthrealm, and they're helping Outworld. In this one, they're more Earthrealm's defenders. Were they Outworld in the original ones, and now they're Earthrealm? No, they're Earthrealm fighting against Earthrealm. Because okay. even in the, especially in the reboot, it points it out, because uh, Raiden ends up talking to uh, Cyrax, telling him, you know, how low can the Lin Kuei sink? You're fighting against your own realm. Don't you know that they're trying to destroy this realm and oh. merge them together? You're going to end up hurting, you know, everything that you believe in here. Right, yeah. And at the end, um, you know, Kung Lao's instantly ready to go uh, fight. That's when we kind of see Raiden go, I'm needed here. But Madame Bo's like, no, you, you, you'll serve your purpose more uh, going with Liu Kang. And at the end, Liu Kang says, um, you know, I'm, I, there's still more fighters that I need to go collect and that moves us into uh chapter two which is uh mr a list and you'll be playing johnny cage and the opponents he fights is kalima katara vala kenshi takahashi and sub-zero um, he gets a playable cameo for a little bit with adam and the stages that you get to see are temple of katara vala uh the cage mansion at sunset as well as at night um 
the beginning of this is um, pretty cool because it's kind of this Indiana Jones kind of uh, um, parody. And he's kind of going through this this temple. I mean, it's a, it's really kind of uh, referencing that. And he gets into a couple battles, which I don't think are any real characters. Are there any of those characters from old ones that they've made into movies? I, I didn't think stuff? so. I think they might have been from like some of his other movies or something. But Okay, cool. Yeah, so at the end, you find out that he's on a movie set. And he's kind of dealing with this uh, director that's a hint to Steven Spielberg. And you can tell that he's kind of on his last leg. It moves forward to him being back at home with his girlfriend, Chris. And she's telling him that he's living this too expensive life. And when you kind of look around, he's still living in a mansion. He's like pointing out all these different um, artifacts and things that he has. And he kind of points to this sword that's worth $3 million. What was cool, though, is it does show that he's he's very knowledgeable, like an old, like kind of Japanese lore and things like that. We find out that his I name... I did like that, yeah. That his name isn't really... Was his name ever John Carlton? Because they she mentioned, she's like, I didn't marry Johnny Cage. I married John Carlton. So you know that he still uses his stage name. Is like he's embodying the persona. I should have looked that up. You know, honestly, I don't ever remember seeing anything like that before. It's always been Johnny Cage. Yeah, I don't remember that happening. But that would totally either. that would totally make sense. And then so as we move forward, uh, she ends up leaving uh, Johnny, and then you know somebody else comes in, and he thinks it's her, and it actually is uh, Kenshi Takahashi, who was actually one of my favorite characters to play in the game. And after their kind of story, he's talking about that he needs to rebuild the is it the Tyra clan. And he wants the sword uh, Sento that Johnny Cage has. And they end up getting into a battle. He ends up beating him and he ties him up. And he's trying to figure out, because he knows the lore of the past. And he realizes they don't have the same last names. And then he gets a knock at the door. It's Liu Kang, Sub-Zero, Scorpion. And he thinks it's kind of like a hoax, like it's a movie joke. And they need, you know, they eventually kind of straighten Johnny Cage out and tell him that this is all real and that he needs to be recruited. Uh, was there anything else for Chapter 2 you wanted to point out? Um, I think this is where you see, like, a little bit more of, like, just kind of different placement. Um, Johnny Cage, again, yeah, is just, uh, instead of trying to prove his worth, he's kind of trying to almost get back in the he's star. reliving the glory days. Yeah, reliving the glory days. Um, I'm, and I wonder how old he is in this, too, because in the other ones, like, he is, like, a lot younger, and he's still, like, that hot action stars. Whereas this, I'm like, you don't seem like you're too old, and obviously there's there's no Sonya anything i you're married to somebody else that's completely different i did like how knowledgeable he is and um he's still the same johnny cage like arrogant but i do like again that he's knowledgeable i'm like okay hopefully that'll set up later for maybe when you just like the other games when you turn into that hero that person that i you can like admire and i really like his change in this but when you run into kenshi kenshi obviously has his eyesight unlike when you meet him in the first games and he's actually a member of the yakuza now which he was not before. And the reason he is trying to get the sword is so that way his clan will follow him and he can kind of try to lead them away from the Yakuza and start his own thing and kind of regain his family honor. I'm like, that's cool. That's a definitely cool change for him too. Especially too when you see him, he's got the Yakuza suit. His hands are all tatted up and stuff. So I do really like Kenshi a lot so too. So is, is Kenshi normally a villain in most games? No, he's a, he's a good guy. Um, in the original ones, he had like lost his eyesight because uh, Shang Tsung tricked him. We can get to like some of that later, but okay. that kind of sets him on that path where he's like kind of hunting down Shang Tsung, but he's always generally been on the hero okay. side. I, w I wasn't too sure about that because he was actually a, a really cool character and I liked that as well. So yeah, so now they've recruited um, Johnny Cage and they've recruited uh, Kenshi, which moves us into chapter three, which is called The Chosen One, which is actually one of the longest ones um, in the game. And this, in this one, you're actually going to be playing Raiden and the fights you're going to have are, are seven. You're going to be fighting Johnny Cage, uh, Kenshi, Kung Lao, uh, Lee Mei, Raiko, Katana, and General Shao. 
your cameo when you do get one is going to be the lightning elemental, which I thought was a cool thing to add because I think Scorpion has the fire one. Yeah, Sub-Zero has like an ice one too. And then the stages that you're going to be playing on are the, the Wuxi Academy during the day and the evening, the Great Hall during the day, and the Hanging Gardens during the day. So uh, this is after time goes by. It, months, it says, go by, and it shows them all training at the Academy. And at this point, they're getting ready to choose um, one champion to defend them in Mortal Kombat. And I, none of them... Thought, they thought they were all going to be champions. So you end up taking everybody out as Raiden. Once he wins, he ends up receiving this kind of lightning artifact that gives him, I guess you would call it magic at that point. He's getting a magic talisman that grants him the power over lightning and thunder. So before we move to Outer World, was there anything about them being at the Academy that's really different? or uh, The Academy is like originally kind of where they had grown up. And that's who trained them. And then as far as that medallion goes, I'd never seen anything about that. I know that, like some of the others, like the Kamidogu or like Shinox Amulet, I never saw anything about a lightning medallion. Well, yeah, because the old that. Raiden wouldn't need it, right? So this Raiden would need yeah. it if, if they're going to give him the lightning ability. Yeah, so I was like, okay, that's a I cool... I thought it was cool. Yeah, I, I like that too. I'm like, okay, that's a cool way to introduce something like that. Nice. Well, how do you like it that... Um, and again, he's he, Luke kind of points out that um, since they've been winning a lot of the Mortal Kombat uh, tournaments that there's a reason why the outer world gets more defenders and they only get to have one. I mean, was that, is that normally how the Mortal Kombat goes? You only get one champion? Cause I thought in the other ones, there's multiple fights. Well, the other ones you get different. So the way that Mortal Kombat is set up here now is it's like a tribute to King Jared after his assassination in Outworld. And so we'll, we'll kind of get to that when we get to some of these other characters, but the way Mortal Kombat works now is it's more of like a, just a test of strength between Outworld and Earthrealm. It's no longer called Mortal Kombat because Liu Kang even says that. He's like, I would never send any of my champions into Mortal Kombat. There's no risk of you dying. So it's now just something between realms. It's it's almost like a game. They've won some. We've won some. Because they even asked that. How many have you done? Whereas in the old ones, you had to win 10 in a row and it was to the death. And you could provide a certain amount of champions into it. I don't know that there's ever a limit because they never really mentioned anything like that in the original ones. Whereas now, yeah, the loser could add a couple extra. And again, it's more of a feat of strength than anything. It's not anything like, we're if we win, we're going to take over you. But Liu Kang is still concerned because there are people out there that he thinks Earthrealm is undeserving. They would attack if they had the chance that by winning, that shows our strength. That shows our bravado. Don't mess with us. Like, you're not going to win. And we'll be fine for however yeah, long. Yeah, okay, good. Because that's kind of what I was looking at, too. Where it seems like once the death of Jared happened... It seems like he's like, now there's conspiring forces to where if Earthrealm doesn't keep its its dominance, that there maybe there will be rebellions or, you know, at that point, there might be causes of active war. Where before, yeah, like you said, it would look like a perfect test of strengths. You know, let's let's battle our worlds together. Luke Hang and Jared seem to be great friends, so there was no animosity. Right. Which was, which was really cool. So, uh, as we move forward, they actually move to... Um, Outworld, where uh, you meet the Ungadi, which is kind of the royal guard, and you meet uh, Melina and Katana, who are the princesses, and uh, as you're going through town, as they're escorting them to the palace, you meet uh, Constable Lee May, who seems to be escorting these Tarkatans in, in the middle of the road, which I guess they're they're criminals, and we'll kind of get in more of their, their spot in a second, but as we get... Unless there's something you want to say about that at all. Uh, well, we we can get into that right now then, I guess. Okay. I mean, some of the changes, because there's already a lot of big changes right okay, here yeah. right off the bat. So one, Melina and Katana are actually fraternal sisters. They're, they're sisters now. So in the original, obviously, Melina was a creation of Shang Tsung in his flesh pits to take Katana's place under the orders of Shao Kahn. They're actually both born of Sindel. Melina is just a few seconds older. 
And Just then, like you and Jean being. <laughs> and then, yeah, and Katana is actually Jared's original daughter. But when he, because he is in Sindel's background. But in when the that, original yeah, one, when that yes. Fails and she gets with Shao Kahn, she becomes the adopted daughter, right? Right, right. So that's how it is in the original one. Sindel in this one is good. She has nothing to do with her husband's murder or anything. He does, unfortunately, die. Um, Lee May is, uh, in the older one, she just was someone who was, like, in a village that she's just more looking for, like, a safe place to be. Her villages were always getting ransacked and torn apart. She had to help build, like, Shang Tsung's fortresses. Now she is being redone as she was a Numgadi. Now she is the first constable, which is, like, the, um, you know, police force yeah. of Outworld. But as far as one of the bigger things is, in the old one, Tarkatan is a race of people. Those are Baraka's people with all the spikes and everything. Now it is actually a disease that has been taken on, and it turns people into that is what it is. And they say that there's no cure for it. You can't tell how you get it. It's just contagious. Some people get it and some people don't. She's just pouring them out in the middle of the street. And she does get (laughs) reprimanded for that. But they start to turn. Eventually, they start to build the spikes like Brock does. They get develop a taste for, like, flesh. And then eventually, they're driven crazy by that bloodlust. Nice. So as we finally get to the palace... um, you meet uh, General Shao, which is no longer Shao Kahn. He's the general of the of the Outworld's uh, military force, who has a completely different design. And I do really like the horns yeah. that he kind of has. I mean, he's not as big and bad as the other version is, but this one he still has the same, um, you know, lust for hunger and you know, lust for battle. And you can tell that he completely dislikes Earthworld. Um, this is when we actually get introduced uh, properly into Empress. Sindel, and as Andrew said, she's completely nice. She's she's ruling. She's caring. She um, instantly starts uh, Mortal Kombat, and you start fighting Raiko, which is uh, his second. Uh, something you want to say? Oh, I just wanted to jump in and say I, I like too the nod to the movie that she sends up. She's like, "It has begun" uh-huh. or whatever, and I'm like, "Oh, cool, nice." <laughs> actually, if I th- I have that clip. I'm, ho- I'm if I remember, I'm hoping to put it in the beginning before we actually start doing the review that that'll be in there, but. Um, so Raiko, has he always been a military guy? Was he... Yeah, I believe he's still, like, kind of the same position as he was. He's, like, Shao Kahn's, like, right hand. Okay, good. And then, as it goes on, because, uh, uh, Liu Kang ends up winning his fights, and then he, I think he wins two or three, and then they, you know, they rest it. Mortal Kombat's gonna pause till tomorrow. They have this dinner scene where you can kind of see, uh, Melina starting to show signs, which, as Andrew says, it points out that that, it's, it's the disease that you're infected with, and it is no longer a race. Now... The next day goes on, and they kind of fast forward that that Luke uh, that Raiden's already beaten a few people. He's already beaten uh, Kotal, which was Kotal Khan, which was one of my favorite characters. He's already beaten Mataro, and he's already beaten Shiva, and he's ready for the final battle against General Shao. Uh, did you like that they skipped over any of these people? Because I really would have liked to have maybe not played them, but it would have been cool if there was just kind of maybe a quick cutscene that showed them winning winner 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 yeah I, I would love to have seen koto khan in a new version of shiva so did that bother you at all because for me i was like you, you you skipped my favorite character i i would like to see it or at the very least if maybe those had been like the cameo fighter so you beat someone with the other person as a cameo because mataro i think is like a cameo because he does get in there and do some stuff that's like okay why can i beat someone else and him and then that would have made sense to say oh you beat this person and mataro right so after he beats um uh general shao i mean essentially he wins Mortal Kombat, and this is where the end of this is where Mortal Kombat kind of comes to an end. But then at the end, we kind of see, um, is this? I believe this is the end of the scene where her and Shao are having that argument, 
and he's starting to tell her that, you know, we need to start believing this prophecy that, that Liu Kang is conspiring against us. And she's like, I haven't seen any proof and you're not going to act until I say something about it. So you can kind of see that there are uh, rumblings happening and there is this kind of, um, this kind of uh, bubbling up from like Shao that he definitely wants to do something, but she's kind of keeping him at bay for the moment. Right. Yeah. So Sindel's definitely like a lot more reserved than how she used to be or has been portrayed. And so she, yeah, just taking her time and rather see what's going to happen and let it play out a little bit more. Um, I do want to note too, and it's funny too, because I just, I, I don't think I would have thought of it like this if I hadn't just watched the flash that it seems like <laughs> even within this timeline, there are certain events that no matter what happens are destined to happen. So like you have some of these people in the Lin Kuei, Earth Realm winning, Jared being assassinated, and it's just Melina turning into like Tarkat or getting Tarkat in, even though she's born normal this time. It's almost like there's certain things that are just destined to happen. No matter how many times you would shape destiny, that these certain points have to hit no matter what you do. Yeah, that was that's actually pretty cool. So... Um, that brings us to the end of um, Act 1, which moves us into Act 2, which has four chapters, The Secrets and Lies, Weird Science, Upward Climb, and Narrow Escape. Now, um, Act 2 with Secret and Lies, you play Kenshi uh, Takahashi. You're, you have four fights, which are going to be Baraka, Rain, Tanya, and Melina. Your cameo fighter is going to be Johnny Cage, and the stages you're on are the Takatan Colony at Night, and Shang Tsung's lab. Um, this might be one of the coolest chapters, I think. It was a really cool um, getting introduced to Baraka and learning about that, um, the infection, and getting into Shang Tsung's laboratory, which I thought plays a really detriment part moving forward. But uh, is there anything you want to say? I was going to say, uh, I, I love that you brought up that this, because I thought it was one of the coolest parts too. And upon thinking about that, I'm like, you know what? I wonder if I like this more because it is that good or because up until this part, they really took their time telling the story and that it is almost kind of like a slow burn. There's not like crazy conflict. There's just a little bit of hints of stuff here and there up until you hit here. And then this is where it just kind of takes off like going forward. And yeah. I'm like, man, I love it made me appreciate the beginning, that slow burn a whole lot. I'm like, oh, OK, I appreciate this so much more now because I wasn't just thrust into conflict. Yeah. And again, like I said, the, the Mortal Kombat's over. So from here on out, this is all like. Like political intrigue, backstabbing, you know, government, political um, things that are happening. So, like, the whole game kind of takes this shift from being like, who's going to win Mortal Kombat and dominate these realms versus, no, let's, we got to like figure out who's doing what now, who's on what side. So, this is really where the game kind of pivots away, what I would imagine, from most Mortal Kombats that end in Mortal Kombat. So, yeah. Uh, so, with that being said, this is where um, Garrus reveals that he's noticing this mysterious woman uh, has been training uh, Shang Tsung. And uh, Liu Kang, with that knowledge, sends Kung Lao, uh, Johnny, and Kenshi into like a covert op to retrieve him. At this point, they now know that Shang Tsung is no longer living the role that Liu Kang kind of set up for him. He is now developing magic. He's now becoming the name in the outworld. They know that he's there. And they're kind of sent, he's sending these three uh, to go retrieve him so that he can be questioned. Right. And so Geras, again, is almost like the same. He's the time titans right hand except for in this one he kind of more watches over time so Liu Kang has made a good version of this one so this is the same gears from like mortal kombat 11 and um as far as the woman he's referring to at first they're speculating that it is chronica right, right, right. somehow having survived from another timeline 
especially too because she has the same eyes she has that same voice it almost it obviously doesn't look like her but it sounds just like her okay that's but he does bring up the point because that's what they're speculating gear says that um once a titan has been killed that they cannot be reborn and so that's kind of where they're really at a loss because it it looks like her that's someone who would have the ability and want to be able to do something like this but it just doesn't make sense and it shouldn't be possible for it to happen right so yeah so now they're kind of speculating at what's going on but at this point they know they need shang sung so at this point we arrive at the the cotton encampment where um because they have this tracking device and following shang sung and he kind of pulls up on him heavy and, and he's like holding him down and he's like shoving in a needle to like withdraw bone marrow and when they go to attack him uh they find out that this shang sung can shapeshift and then um because baraka is battling him and he's about to kill him and they stop him because they want to be able to question him they kind of get into some heated argument uh kenshi explains the situation and they kind of um settle it down and baraka explains to them that there's a laboratory that uh, is nearby and so they go to they go there to kind of go explore and see what's going on as they're coming in they see that melina is strapped into a chair and she's surrounded by tanya rain and Shang Tsung, and it looks like they're about to perform an experiment on her. And so they start fighting them, and they try to want to break it up. And as they do, they think that they're saving uh, Melina. And then you actually find out that Melina was, Shang Tsung's actually been treating her condition. And she actually transforms, and you, she gets into a, a big fight. She's about to kill uh, Johnny Cage when Kenshi um, kind of saves him. And this is where, I guess, this version of timeline, he gets his eyes stabbed out with her size which dude was one of the most coolest scenes right in the game and at this point um katana shall uh general shall goro enter and it looks like earth Realm has been meddling and almost was kind of um messing with the treatment with melina they kind of get arrested if you want to call it that but once katana leaves general shall's like no we need to kill them and then they get taken to the um, underground prison but at the very end, this is where Quan Chi finally pops up and you meet him and you realize that he's the sorcerer that's been telling this prophecy to General Shao. And as everyone separates and Shang Tsung and Quan Chi are kind of having this conversation, you realize that the benefactor, the, the woman that was training Shang Tsung, has also been training Quan Chi, which was just awesome. And again, Quan Chi looks a little different and we, we'll get into to his appearance, but... Once he appeared, I'm like, man, this is just getting, this is just getting good. So if there's anything I missed out, um, please feel free to plug the hole. But uh, how did you like, how did you like what was going on there? Uh, I, I actually love this chapter. I thought it was really good. That um, again, that's one of those things I'm talking about because Kenshi had, was blind in the old games. Shang Tsung tricks him into opening like a well that he thinks is like speaking to him for like his ancestors. And it's like a well of souls that Shang Tsung's trying to steal. And that's what blinds Kenshi in the original one. So again, there's one of those events that it's like, is it is that just always meant to happen? It's an unavoidable fate for this person. And then you see a few people that are a little bit different. Like Rain isn't a, uh, from like Adenia anymore. He is just like a sorcerer now. Again, he gets his name from being able to use the water. Tanya is an Umgadi. Whereas before, she, yeah, was, Tanya? she was always kind of just like really about herself. She was against the heroes but i don't know that she was really ever actively like evil evil versus just trying to elevate herself as far as like a position goes but now she's very loyal to melina it's almost implied that they're kind of like into each other as far as like lovers go and 
yeah, Shang Tsung trying to use that bone marrow from the Tarkatans to stop the disease. I thought that was kind of like a really cool idea too, because that first one he was taken from, I'm like, well, what the hell could he possibly be doing with that? Well, yeah, and then we find out that you know he's been doing experiments and manipulation, and that gets into the next chapter. And then as far as again certain things that are destined to happen, you have Shang Tsung and Quan Chi working together now that almost recreates the Deadly Alliance, is what they're called in the in the game. So it's just like certain events, no matter what, just end up having to play out. Yeah, and it's cool to see Quan Chi now. He's been and it, and at the end looks both, great. Yeah, they're both. Kind Kind of a grain that like you know we're gonna get what you know because i think he says he was a miner and he was living a shitty life and now like as a slave or yeah, something now yeah he's like you know we're finally gonna get power we're gonna reap the benefits so we just gotta stick to the plan and, and keep it going and then at the end you get that smug uh shang sung smile i do like that too and that i mean really speaks characters of Liu kang versus he could have done anything to these people that he kind of just let them have these menial lives that would have meant nothing and you're just living as an everyday person and that could have been whatever it is for them versus I'm sure he could have made it a whole lot worse for yeah. them. And now they're just finding their way back to strength and power. Yeah. So uh, with that being said, we move into chapter five, which is weird science, which you'll be playing Baraka, who was actually a fantastic character to play with, with great depth. And you learn a lot more about him. The opponents you're going to fight are these five Tarkatan clones uh, and with one super Tarkatan. Uh, you end up fighting Reptile and Astro, which are going to be two new characters that we meet. Your cameos are going to be Kung Lao and Reptile. And the stages are going to be Shang Tsung's Flesh Pits with the experiments off as well as on. And the Living Forest during the day. Now, when they when they kind of come to, you, they're, you're woken up in Shang, in Shang Tsung's laboratory. And you when you look around, you can kind of see these horrific creations and experiments. And this is where you meet um, Reptile, who's also Sizeloth. And as kind of conversation goes by, because he when Kenshi's eyes are hurting, he kind of gives them a bomb to kind of put on so that he can not go through pain. So you can tell that Reptile is not like an evil person. And he kind of reveals that he's been, he's like, you guys are his prisoners, Shang Tsung's prisoners, but I'm his slave. And he, and he tells them that, you know, that Shang Tsung has his family. And the reason he's kept him alive is because when he shows that he can shapeshift, Shang Tsung is like, that's, you know, he wants to copy that ability. So before we go any further, uh... I thought it was interesting that they make the ability for him to shapeshift a thing that they've taken from Reptile. Has that always been a thing, or is that something new? I think that's something new, as far as I know, that Shang Tsung could always do that. Right. It was okay, just one that's... of his abilities. And even as far as, like, Reptile goes, um, that's now, like, a thing where, like, that's not supposed to be something common for his race, even though we see, like, someone else who can almost something do like that in this game. And um, he's almost, like exiled from his race the Zaterans is what they're called because of his abilities looked at as like a pariah nice so um Shang Tsung arrives and he's telling him that you know you guys are all dead I don't need you around he is gonna he wants to experiment on him and clone them which eventually he will kill them he disappears and then as reptiles you know having these the Tarkatan clones bring them to their um pods I guess you can say that's when the kind of fight breaks out and you start doing um the battles against it with as Baraka and, um, you know, you start smashing through all these Tarkatan clones, which I thought was kind of cool. It was cool that it wasn't just one fight. It was like you fight one, then you fight another one, and you fight another one. Yeah, instead of a round one, two, three. And yeah. then, yeah, so as Reptile uh, is trying to fight it back against them, Shang Tsung reappears and tells Reptile that, you know, you ruined everything and that your family has already, <laughs> has already been dead. And then he releases... I hate loose ends. Yeah, he, he releases this poison gas, which is one of the first times we run into that... Um, I don't forget what they called it. It was like a button encounter where Baraka has to... Oh, the, to, like to, to smash, test your might? Yeah, you test your might. You have to smash on it to smash through the door 
which I thought it was cool that they introduced something like that in the game. And then from there, you guys escape into the living forest where you, you find out that the Zatarans um, aren't welcome there because warm bloods don't like them. Um, you get his origin story of how he, how Andrew was saying how he was chased out of his town. He joined a traveling carnival. That's how he met Shang Tsung, and then Shang Tsung captured him. Um, and then at the very end, you meet Ashra, who's fighting all these demons, and she thinks that they're demons as well. And once they kind of clear all that, you find out that she's a demon from the nether realm who's trying to cleanse her soul, and she's going against Quan Chi, who um, set he kind of made up this this circle of sisters. And then she, once she rebelled, sent all the sisters after her, and she ended up wiping them all out. Uh, she's got a really cool sword, and I forget the name of it, but it allows her to every soul she, every evil soul she's able to um, destroy, it like it, cleanses, it, it cleanses her of her demonic her. essence. Yeah, yeah. So um, I don't Asher walk me. Is Asher someone new or different? And um, is the Living Force something referenced in many other Mortal Kombat's? Um, she is kind. She's kind of the same. As she was in the other one, she is like a, de- a demon from the nether realm who's trying to cleanse her soul. Okay. Except for obviously now she's allied herself with um, Earth realm. Um, I liked that Baraka is not like a jobber anymore. I was telling Craig, yeah. like he's getting his time in the sun now. I like his story too. It goes in the fact that he is, he was like a merchant who used to sail up and down the coast, but then he caught Tarkot, and then his family caught Tarkot. And they ended up dying, and so he's like, I wish I would die, but I'm still living, so I'm just here doing the best I can for my people, because they're sort of exiled, again, because they're contagious, and they're just in this, like, shitty encampment. Yeah, and he's become the the leader of it, yeah, so it was cool to see Baraka wasn't just this instant killer, this instant, me- this evil person, it was like this guy that's just like, man, I, I used to have it all, and now I have nothing, and I'm banished, and I, you know, it, it was it was a really cool scene, and again, this is one of the cool things I like about this game, is when you see characters walking together that would never be walking together when you have reptile walking with johnny cage walking with baraka it's like, and it makes sense yeah it's like that would never happen and then this was a really cool point in the story where you do get those origin stories with baraka and reptile and i and then you now you meet ashra and learn her so you kind of meet these three characters and you get a lot of good um background and origin story with them and uh we'll get into the living force after the next section okay. i can answer something for you but yeah i was gonna say i do like and i was watching a thing with ed boone He's like, well, how do you guys think you've improved the game? He's like, you know, I really think we've improved on our storytelling because in the beginning, you know, we'd have people fight maybe for some menial reasons. Like Johnny Cage is hitting on Sonya and Jax takes offense to it. So he's like, all right, well, we're going to have a fight now versus all these fights that happen make sense. There wasn't one where I'm like, well, why are you guys even fighting or like duking it out? Oh, that's like, a good point. Something yeah. dumb. Like if you really go back and think about it, everything kind of makes sense in a better way. And I'm like, oh, you know, it, it. Because I'd watched that interview before this came out, I was like, man, that is a lot more fluid, and I really like this a lot. I think he said that on the hot ones. I, oh, oh, I, did, I haven't seen that one yet. You've seen it, but I haven't watched it. I was like, if you guys haven't watched it, Ed Boon does do a hot ones episode. It is like 30 minutes long. It was really, really good. I highly recommend checking it out. Nice. Maybe I'll try to leave the link in the description for anybody that wants to watch it. So um, that moves us into Chapter 6, which kind of picks up right where they're at, and then it's called upward climb where you actually get to play ashra now and you're going to fight four battles against natara havoc Quan chi and ermac who's going to be uh we had a couple new characters here your cameos are going to be reptile and kenshi takahashi and the stage is going to be the living force during the day and then the corrupted force during the day so uh ashra was a really cool character i really liked her moves i liked her sword combat um, as the group kind of moves forward, they actually stumble across Quan Chi, Natara, Havoc, Darius, and Serena, and they, they realize what they're powering up is what's called the Soul Stealer, which is a dev- devastating machine that has the potential to kill millions. So as they kind of plan their attack 
you know, Kenshi's ready to kind of go in swinging, and they're like, Kenshi, no, you, you can't, man. Like, let us handle this. And one of the coolest moments is um, Johnny Cage asks him for his sword, and he goes, why? So I can be, I can do nothing? And he goes, like, just give it to me. And then he actually gives him a sento, and he goes, you know, you saved my life. You know, we're, we're good now. Which I thought was a really cool moment. You you, you wouldn't yes. you really wouldn't see that out of a Johnny Cage until like late game until he's properly developed. But you can tell this guy just in the beginning has a good heart. So for me, that scene was really cool. I'm like, dude, that that was awesome. I love that scene. I'm like, good. That's the perfect transition into that Johnny Cage hero. Right. Like, he's not a, this isn't this. He's never in this one. He's not a douchebag Johnny Cage. He's as just, much as right. He's just he's just a clouded Hollywood guy that you know who who wants his life to stay how it is. But yeah, there was no. There was no douchebagginess in it at all for him. So um, as they come up to the machine, you kind of see that um, Quan Chi's been making deals with some of these people because they bring them these relics so they can power this thing. Right. And they're asking, you know, they want to make sure that their deal's in place. So uh, before we go much further, because they don't really dive too much into it, um, do you want to get into who Natara, Havoc, Darius, and Serena even are? Yeah, we can do those ones. Uh, Serena's one of those demon sisters that Asher's actually trying to save, so she is somebody from the Nether Realm. Okay. As, like, a part of that. Um, uh, Havoc, act- you see him a little bit later. Well, even if you play him before you do the story mode, right now when you see him, he is perfectly, like, a normal person, but normally he's all, like, mutilated. He breaks his bones when he, like, attacks you. Oh, that's cool. He is, um, he actually has taken the place of two characters from my understanding of this, and I had to look this up when I was, lo- or when I was reading about him, because I'm like, okay, I just want to make sure I'm right with how he originally is, is in the original game, there, you know, there's different realms. He is actually from the Chaos Realm. Okay. And so, he go. that's all he believes in in chaos. He, he doesn't believe in good. He doesn't believe in bad. He just believes in spreading chaos, almost like the Joker goes. So, he's, uh, in this one, he's from the realm, uh, or uh, the order realm, from a place called Saito. And they're pretty much like a, a, like a fascist government role. So, him and Darius. Darius is almost kind of like the same thing. He's from there. He is like a, um, just like a, rev- he's looked at as like a revolutionary. Okay. So I don't remember sh- him at all. He, I have no recollection. I thought Jax at first. No, these are, these are from the older games. Okay. So he is um, trying to liberate Saito so that way it's not like this fascist government. And Havoc almost kind of seems to be mimicking the same thing at this point in time versus just believing in straight chaos. And there's another character in the older one called Deiru who is also kind of like a revolutionary. It seems like Havoc is taking that place. So instead of actually being from Chaos Realm in this one, he is from the Order Realm under that fascist. Natara is still kind of the same. I don't think she's ever really been looked at as bad. She's just looking for a food supply and something for her people. And as far as it goes to, because I've seen people looking up online and there's an excuse for it too, is that, well, how can she fight in the sun? She's a vampire and this and that. It's only Earth Realm's sun that actually hurts her for whatever mm. reason. And I'm like, oh, I kind of like that. It's almost like Superman gets, you have these different suns that do different things for different people. So again, she is just trying to find a food supply. And there's, have you seen the controversy around her? A lot of people actually hate her voice acting because of Megan oh, Fox. Oh, yeah, we talked about Megan Fox on one of the episodes. Um, even if, whether or not you like Megan Fox or not, she doesn't really talk that much in the game for me. To, like, there was nothing where she was like, oh, that was bad. She says about maybe six sentences in the whole thing outside of grunts. It's more when you're fighting, when they first do their intros and stuff like mm-hmm. that. You see it not much. I'm like, you know what? It's not It's not bad. It's not Ronda Rousey bad. Ronda Rousey's was bad. Hers is just more like, I don't know if she wasn't given any context to what she's reading. Because she'll read something and be like, don't you care about my people? And it's just said with like the wrong inflection for how it's used. So I don't know if maybe it was the guidance 
or uh, how she did it. Or she's not uh, a good voice talent. Yeah. I, I, you can act in a movie. doesn't mean you're a good voice actor. Yeah, and, and maybe that's just what it is, too. So it could be a mixture of both. But I think for me, like, like I said, I think she sounds okay as her voice. I it, It's nothing special. It's just it almost seems like it's the wrong inflection. Like, it, like maybe she was just reading these lines off the script. But it wasn't given any direction as to, like, okay, you're fighting these guys, you're this person, and action. Right. So, uh, with that all out of the way, yeah, because I, I was really curious with these four, because you don't really see too much of them, or at least an explanation of too much of them. So, um, with that being said, as the team continues to battle all of them, the machine actually gets activated, and it actually steals souls from the forest itself, which creates a character named Ermac. Now, who's a complete... Um, you know, soul demon-like being that's under the control of Quan Chi and, you know, obeys his every command. Is he a new character? Ermac? No, er- Ermac is, he's always been immortal. Well, that's from the era macro, like the old days, but eventually he was introduced and he is the same thing. He's just a created cluster of souls that by were... By Quan Chi, though? I believe in the last one is by Quan Chi, because I think that's who he's accompanied with. When they redo it in Mortal Kombat 9, he just comes out of, like, this soul well. So, yeah, I think it is from Quan Chi in that one, too. Um, the only thing that's a little bit different that I think was never really alluded to too much before, but is in some of the endings, is that when they do that soul steal, they take all the soul. And this is what I was saying about the Living Forest. is actually that old forest from the old game that's completely dead with all the moaning trees and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. This, is that where Scorpion fights Shining Cage? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this would be that where all the trees are moaning and they're dead or like they can eat people and stuff. These are those trees pre and post. So this is what that force is supposed to look like cool. when it's full of souls of the dead versus Quan Chi taking them out. Now they're just dead soulless trees. But Ermac actually has the soul of Jared inside of him because it was taken out of one of the nearby trees. Right, and we'll grab that a little bit later in the chapter. So as this goes on, um, Asher and Kenji, uh, Kenji is trying to join in the fight. And he kind of gets smacked around, and he's about to get kind of whomped up, and he uh, his blade ends up talking to him, and you find out that he has the ability with like the, like a telekinesis telepathy with these um, with his people, like they want to make sure that they can save him. And then when he they do a point of view where he can actually kind of see, but it's kind of like almost matrixy kind yeah. of looking. And so he's actually able to get back into the battle. So Asher and Kenshi end up um, fighting Ermac, and between both their blades having pretty cool abilities, they're actually able to taint. Um, Air, Air Mac and uh, kind of mess them up and when that happens these these souls kind of trigger out and they start attacking Quan Chi who tries to hold them off and um, does it and he actually gets like a like, well, I don't know what you would call it like a like a soul suck out of him drains some of his like life which, essence yeah, yeah. bleaches his skin which turns him back into the original look of Quan Chi from Mortal Kombat which at that point I was like dude that is pretty cool it's his little things of, of nods of, of turning him back into that um, the group begins to then agree to part ways with uh, Johnny Cage offering Ashra a home on Earth, and uh, they're taking Quan Chi with them. And Shang Tsung, when we go back to a different um, cutscene, is talking to the benefactor and tells her that the, all the other Soul Stealers are up and running, plans are running smoothly, and he's actually got plans for the Lin Kuei coming up. And that's kind of where that one ends. Unless there's anything else you want to. No, I, I the same thing. Okay, so moving into then chapter 7, we have Narrow Escape, where you're going to be playing Reptile, and you're going to be fighting four fights against Limei, Katana, Tanya, and General Shao. Your cameo fighter is going to be Kenshi, and the stage throughout the whole entirety is uh, Sundu at night. Now, uh, 
I'm looking at chapter eight. Chapter seven. Uh, so the group is entering the city and they're trying to reach the teleporter to get back to um, Earth Realm. And they actually have Quan Chi and they kind of they put on these disguises. You know, Johnny Cage points out that it looks like Mardi Gras out there. They're kind of in the middle of a festival, which I'm not sure <laughs> what it's even for. But um, I'll say actually before you go yeah. but further, is Ashes wearing like a really funny hat? Yeah, is that a reference like, to something? That, she used to wear a hat like that. Oh, that's cool. why okay. That's why it's like, oh, that looks good on you. Because she used to have like a big white hat that matched what she was wearing. And it was like white with like kind of gold trim. Obviously, it's, it's not the same style because it's Mardi Gras out. But I was like, oh, that's pretty funny. Okay, that's funny. It reminds me of like Luke Cage when he has his outfit on in the show. And he's like, I ain't wearing that. So yeah, I love little nods like that. Um, again, this is kind of where you see this um, opening with um, Melina and Tanya flirting. And Katana is cautioning her sister about consorting with the Umgadi. And you can kind of see that Melina is kind of being this rebel. And I don't know how much emphasis they were trying to put on it. Because I almost kind of glossed over it. But I was like, okay, clearly something's there. But um, going back into what their plan was. They're trying to reach the Earth Realm with Quan Chi to teleport back to Liu Kang. And Reptile um, kind of proposes he'll make distractions for them. And he kind of, this is another ability where he shows off that he can kind of turn transparent or invisible for a bit. As he's running through the city, um, these street brawls happen, and the the police force with the constable as well as the military know that something's going on, and uh, these battles are kind of going back and forth, and uh, I don't know, how'd you feel about that before we go to the ending? I mean, this is kind of where it's getting a little faster. Um, you can tell Reptile is like, because Lee May, you can tell, doesn't want to hurt him, and she, she, she was like, I'll listen to you, but you gotta go by the thing of law. She's really trying to stand and, for and, justice. And, yeah, yeah. Reptile's just like, if I get caught, I'm dead. Like, Shao Kahn, or General Shao, is not gonna let me live, because they already know that Reptile knows too much. I think what I like the most about this one is that you really see Katana truly, like, love her sister and, like, care for her, that she is not trying to, like, usurp the throne or anything like that at all. She's like, you know it's forbidden to be with Umgadi or whatever. Wait till you're Empress, and then you can change the law and do what you want to. You don't want people to try to depose you or speak against you now. So she really is pushing for her sister to take Sindel's place. Like, she doesn't want anything to do with it, and she is totally fine with that. Actually, like, you know that's cool. And we did miss that in Chapter 3, where... But the rule was supposed to be when uh, Raiden has to fight the heir, which was supposed to be Melina, but they know that her, her um, condition was happening, which is then why she went it to Shanghai. It flares up when she goes to right. combat, so then, yeah. But when he fights Katana, um, she's like, people already think that she should be the heir. So yeah, you can already see that there's this little animosity that she thinks Katana wants to take over the role, but Katana clearly doesn't. She just wants her to be protected and safe. So uh, once the battles happen and they actually get through... They actually end up losing Quan Chi um, along the way, but they do make it back to Liu Kang, where uh, one of the things Liu Kang points out when he looks at Kenshi um, and he sees it in his eyes, he goes, oh, I can't, he says something along the lines of like, I didn't know what happened like that this time. What, what's that whole, what's all that about? I, yeah, I wrote that about it. He's like, oh, I'm glad to see you bonded with Sento. I just wish it wasn't, it didn't have to be that way this time. And he's talking about the fact that he's blinded again, that he was hoping he'd be able to bond with uh, the sword okay. in his new timeline, but be, you know, a norm, or, you know, not afflicted by something. And again, this comes from Liu Kang knowing in the previous timeline that he was blinded before due to uh, Shang Tsung. Gotcha, okay, I wasn't sure if maybe he lost his eyes a similar way, and he's like, oh, I was hoping to avoid that altogether. But you're saying just in general, when he found the sword, that he just maybe could keep his eyesight. Which, dude, by the way, I mean, if you're going to get that kind of eyesight, I mean, I kind of like the, you know, the, the night angel blue that he's kind of looking through. I like that he almost lets it slip, too, and that it's just like, oh, shit, like, uh, oh, I, I, miss, I, yeah, I, I misspoke. I miss, I misspoke. Yeah. And I don't remember if we had said it before or gone into as much detail about it, but we might have glossed over it, because it comes into the fact later, is that Luke King 
isn't like really like the time titan anymore he kind of gave that up and now he's more doing raiden's job he is earth realm's protector because he didn't want to go crazy I by we tempering that. Did the we time. Not mention that he, he's not one of the time i think we read the beginning and maybe he might have skipped that part but either way we would have gotten to it eventually but just in context for this why he's so involved with these people it's not so much considered meddling because again oh he's you not know what because i have it in my notes of when i was going to point that out that's why okay but yeah as of right now he's no longer the Time Lord, but so what? Once he allows um, Kenshi and, and Johnny Cage to go rest, he talks to Astra and Reptile, and they both kind of give him these stories about Quan Chi and Shang Tsung since they both have worked for him. And he kind of realizes that they've, you know, he's like, how can this be happening again? And they're forming this new deadly alliance, and they find out more that the woman, um, when he talks to Garrus again, can't be a Titan from the past, but somebody from the timeline with a vendetta. So. At that point, we've reached the halfway mark, so I kind of wanted to just pause real quick. And at this point, just see how you like the story going on so far. How do you like the new timeline and characters? Um, my biggest question was, with uh, the Deadly Alliance again, did any of this feel repetitive, or is there enough new stuff in this where it's new blood and you know them recreating a Deadly Alliance doesn't feel like they're hashing out an old plan? It's I almost didn't feel like it was hashing out an old plan because a lot of the stuff that they're taking from these games are games that didn't really have a story mode. You have the intro before you push start to play the game, and then the rest of the story you get from reading articles of clothing or doing the tower with every character. So it's nice to see a lot of this stuff more fleshed out, and even still, it's in a different way that I felt like it was fresh enough. And who's been your favorite character to play uh, so far? Because I really liked playing uh, Kenshi, was probably my favorite guy up until uh, this point, because we are going to meet a handful of new characters we get to play but uh, he was one of my favorite, and I, I love all their new looks, man. Reptile especially. I love the way he looks. Yeah, he looks great. My favorite, I think, to play, uh, I ended up... Up really, this point, not, no one yeah, we haven't talked about. I right. really liked Ashra a lot. Ashra was dope, okay. Yeah, like playing her, especially with the sword too, because you can do like a light thing with the sword, or you can like infuse it with like darkness cool, or yeah. something. And I, I really liked her combos a lot. Like I felt like fighting with her picked up for me because I could bust out like a six to seven hit combo whereas I can't do that with like everybody I'm like okay I kind of got this down now to where I'm just like excellent so um yeah so we're halfway through the game now and this point we move to act three and at this point it does start moving a lot faster so I don't think we'll be diving into them as long as we have been on the other ones because this is kind of where the story starts picking up a little bit right more. so act three is gonna have uh five chapters which is the longest side of the game which has Band of Brothers, Civil War, Protect and Serve, For the Empire, and Queen's Gambit. So, uh, starting with Chapter 8, Band of Brothers, you're going to be playing Sub-Zero with four fights against Natara, Ermac, Quan Chi, and Shang Tsung. Your cameo fighter is going to be Scorpion, and the stages you're going to be on are going to be the Ying Fortress with Snow, and the Treasure Chamber with the Schmelter on. So, uh, when you start with this, uh, Bihan and his crew are waiting for to see Liu Kang, and he's yelling at um, Smoke. He's kind of being a little hostile. And uh, when they finally, you know, gets in to see Liu Kang, he tells them that they need to go around and stop these soul stealers because they realize that there's more happening. And one of their jobs is to go do it. Um, I think Johnny Cage or some Kenshi Ray didn't want to go with them. And they're like, no, you're not Lin Kuei. You know, we operate a certain way. So um, it kind of fast forwards and they're climbing up the massive fortress. And it's kind of cool watching them go. Scorpion's got his, his grappling hook. You know, uh, Sub-Zero's climbing up with the ice and Smoke's just kind of raising up. And then Smoke gets attacked by, I believe it was Natara. And uh, so the battles keep going on. You fight Natara, you fight Serena, you fight Ermac. And then um, as you enter, um, you're trying to go capture Quan Chi. 
But as they're kind of talking amongst each other, they realize that there's big wars going to happen. And Sub-Zero kind of gets a little distracted by seeing all the gold and wealth. He's going, people are going to build empires and, and, and factions out of this. He's all, and he's kind of like, why aren't we getting any? And, you know, Scorpion has to remind him that you know, our duty is to serve and protect, not to not to garnish power. And as you're, you end up fighting Quan Chi and Shang Tsung and you win. But as he's about to kill him, if I'm not mistaken, uh, General Shao arrives with his army and they end up um, kind of arresting them. And Shang Tsung, he goes, why, you know, I should just kill you now. And he goes, but I, I see something in you. And he kind of starts appealing to uh, Sub-Zero's, um, kind of, I don't want to say corrupted side, but you can see that he, he wishes for power. And at the end, uh, it ends with a scene from Garrus finally realizing who the woman is. So, again, a fast little scene. You know, you do quick little bits. Most of it's told in the, in the cut scene. So, I don't know, anything you take away from this? Uh, that was actually my favorite person to play was Sub Zero. Sub Zero, yeah. Sub Zero was probably my my least only because I just missed the the instant just just ice ball. How fast it used to yeah. be. You can, uh, yeah. <laughs> I would bust out the ice ball on there. I uh, I think my favorite attack is like if you do like a back Y into a forward and then you can uppercut him. Like I th- couldn't figure out what it was. We thought it was I thought it was a hammer. You thought it was an axe. But then when I was looking at it, it's a frozen spine with a skull. Is what he's like beating awesome. over the head with. So he has a super dope combo. But I like the idea that he's annoyed with being... He refers to himself almost like Luke Kang's like lapdogs. We're tired of waiting around and doing nothing. And even when he's going in there, he doesn't care that he's... He doesn't care who he's fighting. He just... He's lust for war and for dominance and for power. And he's like, finally, hopefully I'll get some sort of worthy adversary to fight. Is he just really wants this challenge. Not Not having to hold back anymore. Not having to pull his punches. Like he said, fighting Johnny Cage and fighting Kung Lao. He's like good a fight let's do this i'm the grand master of something like i need to be doing something that's worthy of the title which he yeah like you're saying he just seems like he's being underutilized or at least underappreciated right and so i really like that because that sets up like four later stories and again he's it's not like he's noob cybot by this point originally you don't see too much of this sub-zero because he is dead by now and already turned into noob cybot the wraith yeah so um, as we move on into chapter nine, this is uh, Civil War, which you're g- going to play Scorpion. And you got four fights against General Shao, Rain, Havoc, and Sub-Zero. And your cameo is going to be the Fire Elemental. Stages are going to be the Tomb of the Dragon Army, Dormant, Treasure Chamber, Schmelteron, and the Ying Fortress in Snow. And as this one starts, that so you've already been captured and you're walking down the halls and Shang Tsung is with General uh, Shao. And they're kind of talking, and, and it was interesting because this is the first time you see a General Shao that's not just, you know, talking shit to Earthrealmers. He's like, he's like, you and me share a common goal that our, our people are held down by Liu Kang. So you can tell, and I'm not sure how much of the plan with General Shao, but you know what 100% is with Shang Tsung, that they want to start slowly, you know, feeding into his, his insecurities and his position in life. And they start entertaining, you know, his ideas for, for power. And when Scorpion tries to speak up, you know, Sub-Zero shuts him down. And um, that's kind of more where he tells Sub-Zero the main plot isn't that we're just doing soul stealers, but they're actually using it to bring the dragon army uh, to come out and conquer. So before we go any further, um, how much further, or how much more is the dragon army in other games? Is This this isn't new. Is, is the dragon army something that's built in other games? Yeah, it's in the other ones. I don't remember. I think it's first introduced in... Deception. It might even be in Deadly Alliances where it's like first alluded to, but it is from the older games. It doesn't really get you uh, again. 
it depends on like how you read it because a lot of the information you get from that stuff is by beating the towers it's not like there's like this big story except for something the deception which we'll kind of get to a little bit of that later on but it is something that's referred to and it's almost the same thing they're trying to get these souls to power the army is what it is right so he has this crown that when he wears it it's powered by the souls and once he has it on he can turn the the because they're kind of just statues and then he can kind of bring them to life with the souls and uh so they kind of go into it, and Sub Zero is kind of like you know he raises up his his his, his shackles, and they release them, and, and Scorpion's like, "What are you doing?" And he kind of goes into this thing where it's like it's time for a new order. That you know I'm paraphrasing, but he gets to the point where he's like, "I'm glad I let the father die to become Grand Master." And Scorpion's like, "What are you talking about? You said you tried to help him." And he's like, "No, he was an old fool." And he's and weak. I, yeah, and I'm over Liu Kang's rule. So at this point, you know when you start getting into Scorpions. Um, character, you attack and you get out and you escape. You do a couple battles. You end up running back into Smoke, who you explain to him kind of what's going on. You get into a final battle with Sub Zero, who's going, you know, why are you guys questioning your Grand Master? And they're going, you're beyond. Your loyalty yeah. should be to me and my will. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, no, our loyalty is to serve and protect first and foremost. One of the coolest things is when he fights them. Um, he because there's two Sub Zeros and one of my favorite. Yeah, scenes. the, the younger brother going. has the scar. And he was fighting him, and, and, he, and he hits him in the eye. And once he gave him the scar, I was like, dude, that is so sick that they gave Scorpion, the younger brother of Sub-Zero, the same scar that his younger brother had in the other ones. And I don't know a bunch of lore like Andrew does, but it, it's things like that that I, when I catch it, I'm like, that was awesome. That, and that's another one. Is that always destined to happen? And yeah. that this has two of my favorite scenes in the chapter is... Uh, the dragon army's like approaching on Scorpion and does whatever. I don't know if it's this one or the last oh, he one. Melts it. But he like melts the sword as it's like in his face and he's like completely unfazed by it. But yeah, I love that team because he's he's fighting Sub Zero and Sub Zero has his of course Ice Kunai goes to stab him and Scorpion blocks it. But then he realizes the knife isn't in that hand and then it's in his that other hand. I was like, good. dude, that was the sickest thing. That was so cool. Um, I think the only other thing is um, one of those fight again because it's a couple quick jobbers is he does fight Havoc and Darius and they're trying to yes, push him into yeah, a yeah. thing of gold that he does take Havoc's face and push him into the, the smelting pot and that turns Havoc most of his body is still human looking but this is more along the Havoc that we know where like his face is melted away he doesn't have a nose he doesn't have lips you see just his teeth and like cool exposed look. jawline and he does look great in this game so that was something else i wanted to point out and then yeah by the end they capture sub-zero because they don't want to leave him there smoke is saying you know what what should we do should we go back to lin Kuei? yeah aren't and, you the grandmaster now and yeah he, why don't like, you take over and he says no because cyrax and Se uh sector yeah. are loyal to behan there's no way they would listen to me let's you know, back up and come up with another plan. Yeah, and also one of the cool things too is you can tell that Sub Zero earlier when he talks to Smoke, he's like, "Just because you're adopted doesn't make us you part of the the Lin Kuei." But but Scorpion's like completely opposite. He's like, "Even though you may be adopted, he's like you'll always be my brother." And I was like, "Dude, I'm like that's just powerful scenes," and I love that that clan building kind I'll of. I'll say I love that scene that when he's saying it, it's like a blizzard in the background, but you slowly yeah, see Sub Zero walking up behind him. I'm like, "Oh man, dude, that." There was a lot of scenes in this game. I think for me, pinnacle Mortal Kombat scene, and I think maybe, I don't know if you'd agree, is Mortal Kombat 11's where Raiden and Liu Kang are fighting, but it's through all the different timelines. Oh, that fantastic. That's my number one favorite scene in Mortal Kombat because it was so good. There was a lot of scenes with this game. I, I was waiting. I'm like, man, when is this moment going to happen that I think is up there, at least come close to it? And just in this chapter alone, I was like, dude, there's a couple right there that are on the verge of that. Yeah, and it's one of those things where you look at, if you were to make a Mount Rushmore of Mortal Kombat characters, you, you I, 
I'd be hard-pressed to find anyone that wouldn't put, like, a Sub-Zero and a Scorpion on it. So it was really cool that, I mean, I was invested in their storyline. I'm like, dude, what's going to happen with these guys? Because you know something's bubbling. And what you get at the end is this cool, you know, Sub-Zero turns. Scorpion and, and Smoke are kind of gathering back up together. You know, that they, they, they're they're still worried about Sector and Cyrax. They don't know what's going on. So I really like where that story went, and uh, which is why I used the thumbnail. Uh, for this video, because I just, I mean, those two storyline was just awesome, and I can't wait to see where it goes. Yeah, I think it was my favorite. I think those might have been, like, my favorite part, just because, again, just those two seeing them riff now, I'm like, man, that was so good. Fantastic. So, um, that moves us into chapter 10, which is Protect and Serve, where you're going to play Lee Mei with four fights against Raiko, Tanya, Katana, and Melina. Her cameo is going to be Liu Kang, and your stages are going to be Sundu during the day, Hanging Gardens during the day and the Great Hall during the afternoon. So, um, Luke Kang and Garrus meet up and discuss that there is a parallel timeline um, and that he decides that he needs to go to the Outworld and explain to the Empress what's going on and reveal... See, this is what I was saying. And reveal that he used to be the Keeper of Time where now he's just kind of the Lord, you know, Protector of Earthrealm. Um, he arrives and he meets Lee Mei who explains... And, you know, she's very hostile. She's like, you know, go back to where you came from or I'm going to have to you know, arrest you or fight you. And he explains that the Empress and Outer World is um, under a takeover and that Shao, uh, General Shao and Shang Tsung are actually traitors. She kind of puts it together and that she agrees. And then on the way of getting there, you run into um, General Shao's military unit fighting Raiko. You run into the Imgadi who you end up fighting Tanya. And then eventually you end up reaching the Empress where words are exchanged and the battle breaks out. Melina actually ends up transforming again. She loses her temper. She actually almost kills her mother, Sindel, which Lee Mei actually ends up saving. And they kind of give each other this forgiveness and, you know, a little bit of the back histories in there. We'll get into that. And then at the end, Liu Kang and Sindel talk. And, and he's telling her, you know, all this of what's happening behind her back. And she says that she wants proof. And he says, I can give that to you in spades. And if, and if I can't, that I'll hand over Earthrealm without even a fight. So with a lot of this was a lot of good Earthrealm. Is it Outworld or Outer World? I keep saying I think I'm switching between the both. Outworld. That's Outworld. Um, so yeah, talk to me about that. How did you like the buildup and Lee May coming back into the fold? We learned more about how she was the one that on her watch the father died and all these things. Yeah, that's been the big thing, and it seems why she's like detested earlier. Like Melina, Katana, Tanya. So now everyone talks shit to her all the time, is because she was. Ungari and she was supposed to be Jared's protector and he was murdered on her watch and so that's why she's almost like demoted to like first constable so even when she's talking to Sindel or I don't know if it's Sindel or Katana but that how much lower could you sink like I didn't think this day would come and so it was nice to see that like rift repaired I was like okay that's cool like her again you see a lot of these characters who were maybe not as pre prevalent in the first one get their time in the sun and I don't mind seeing some of these people like even though Shao Kahn gets beat multiple times because he's supposed to be this big bad guy but he has been for so long I don't want to use the term jobber for him because it's okay for him to lose it because he's had his time in the sun for how many years? Yeah, he's that last boss in every game. Yeah. Where this one, and again, I was kind of thinking that in the beginning as well. I'm like, he loses Mortal Kombat, he gets, he gets swamped, he gets swamped. But um, I mean, this isn't the same Shao Kahn when you look at those other ones because they are a different build. But um, and again, this is a this is a version that Liu Kang put him into place to serve this kind of certain role. You know, what I mean, so. Yeah, so is that everything you want to talk about with uh, for the Empire? Again, faster chapters, you know, they're getting to where they need to go. Right, yeah, so we can go on to 11. Okay, so moving on to chapter 11, which is um, for the Empire, where you're going to finally play the Empress Sindel. You're going to have four fights with Natara, Raiko, 
Rain, and General Shao. Your cameo is going to be Li Mei, and the stages are going to be Shang Tsung's Flesh Pits with the experiments off, and Shang Tsung's Laboratory with Overcast. Now, uh, Sindel, uh, when you start off in this lab, and you can kind of, and it's the lab that you guys were in previously, and you can tell that she's completely disgusted. And then Liu Kang kind of goes over these past events, reveals that he's the Time Lord, shows Sindel, um, and or I think Gareth shows her that she was actually the wife of Shao Kahn, and, and, and that she was year, evil in her past yeah, in a life timeline. Um, and he explains because she's asking him like, "Were you a god? Are you my creator?" And he and he explains that he's given up the life of being divine because he saw what it did to Kronika. And he'd rather just be the protector of the realm. He doesn't think he could have done it any better. And why this is happening, General Shao steps in and um, he starts telling Sindel, this is the rebellion, this is the takeover. She's too weak to rule. And he reveals the amulet of Shinnok. And Liu Kang begins to warn him that, you know, be careful of this power. He actually ends up trapping Tanya, Katana, Melina, and Garrus. And then the battle pursues. And then at the very end, once they're defeated and everyone's freed, Liu Kang asks for help to defend the Earth Realm from uh, Sindel, and she. It was a good comment. She goes, "Is this a command from my creator?" And he, and he gives her that smile. And he's like, "No, this is a request from a friend." So I thought it was it was a beautiful again faster. But um, talk to me where you want to jump in. But at least try to explain to me what the Amulet of Shinnok is, and does it play a bigger role in other games? Yeah, that's actually the big one in uh, Ten. That that's what like a lot of them are like fighting over. Okay, is that amulet? It sounded familiar, but I just don't remember. Yeah, it's the big one they're fighting over in Ten. Shinnok's an Elder God. I don't know what like place he really plays in this because it doesn't really mention like Elder Gods it's like or anything like name, that. Right? And so I yeah I'm not too sure what what plays with the Elder Gods in this one because in the original. They're the ones who set up the tournament, so yeah, that's why you have to fight for those rules. And so, yeah, they're completely, like, almost, like, absent from this. So he's using that amulet, and, again, that amulet has a power to corrupt. That's the thing that Raiden uses in um, Eleven when he's, like, zapping Scorpion okay. before him and Liu King start fighting, and that's what's kind of driving him crazy. Turning him dark Raiden. Yeah, right. is that amulet. But I did really like that between Liu King and Sundell when she's, like, you know, like, Am, am I just supposed to be like a pawn? Like, why'd you? He's like, no, you know, I place you in charge because I know that you're caring and a firm and just person and yeah. explain the reasons why. But I perfectly, I really, really did like that. And she's like, you know, is this an order for my creators? Like, no, it's a request from a friend. Yeah, perfect. Loved it. So, um, with that being said, guys, we move into chapter uh, 12, which is Queen's Gambit, where you're going to play Melina with four fights against Ermac, Shang Tsung, Dark Raiden, and Dark Sindel. Again, in the stages of the Ying Fortress during the dawn. Tomb of the Dragon Army dormant as well as active. Now, uh, it was kind of cool to start seeing uh, Melina as a character. And I think this is probably the most pivotal chapter that we start getting answers of what's actually right. happening. So this one was actually um, really cool in terms of uh, what presses the story forward. So as you, the combined forces, you know, now together with Earthrealm and Outworld, head to the Deadly Alliance Fortress um, they end up fighting Ermac, who, once Melina beats him, and Andrew referenced this earlier, he becomes, because, well, and again, there's different Ermacs, or is it one and the same? Because when they beat the one in the forest, and they fought another one, so is it the same guy that can conjure himself? It's the same guy, he's just made up of a bunch of souls, and normally, like, some are in control, but they're always, like, fighting for control within him. Okay, cool, so when she actually ends up beating him, um, the spirit of her dad, Jared, actually comes fourth and that was a kind of a cool moment anything you want to mention on that or should i move on i like that i feel like that's the only biggest plot hole and we might as well mention it now is they never address who killed him yeah i was curious on that too i was and, like well and so i have no clue if well, like, I, show. They, I forget they live for thousands of years because like he died a thousand years ago because he goes under under sindel's rule 
there's been peace since you've been the empress for a thousand years. So it's like this had to have been yeah, way uh, back. When. They even mentioned that at like the table. It's almost like the scene from the movie uh, beginning when they're having dinner. Johnny Cage is talking to Katana. He's like, "You're ten thousand years old." Yeah. So they still have that long lifespan, even though they're not like a Denian anymore or unless a Denny is a part of Outworld when it was its own thing before they don't really mention that but yeah they do not mention how he died and I thought that was going to be something that they were going to mention I thought this was going to be like a big turn for Sindel and it really revealed Snell is a piece of shit Ooh. after I thought she was really cool this whole time or maybe one of her daughters did it maybe this is a turn for Katana for some reason but no they never answer it and I'm wondering if maybe that'll be DLC or if again that's just Something that just randomly ha again one of those things that has to happen in every right. timeline because her husband's it, dead in every it, one of them and right? it yeah and it doesn't matter how it happens whereas in the original one Shao Kahn killed her in the original games in the rebooted timeline Sindel actually helps Sh uh, Shao Kahn to kill her because she thought her husband was weak and then in this one he's just dead but they don't ever answer it but I do like him as the character of like Ermac when he does take over yeah that that was kind of cool that he kind of takes a an actual. Because you never really form. talk to it again. You never get to talk to him. You never find out anything about him other than that. So you're getting that like father daughter bond, and then seeing like how Sindel really does love him compared to whenever you see her in any other incarnation. Like he's a weak fool and yeah, this and that. A wicked hoe. So um, as they move forward, they start getting a plan because they they're approaching Shang Tsung and Quan Chi, and Melina says, "Let her take the lead," and she ends up approaching them, and she kind of is is lying to them, saying that she was actually a spy. Um, for Shao Kahn, I keep, I'll always call him Shao Kahn, and then eventually they kind of, and they're kind of impressed by it, like, oh, you've actually learned your place in this world, and you'll, you'll give up the, the, uh, your seat, and then uh, they get ambushed, and, uh, we learn, so they start asking questions about who the benefactor is, which is the first time we, uh, we hear Shang Tsung refer to her as Damashi, and then, uh, Oh yeah, okay. And then from there, Damashi ends up appearing, which the biggest pivotal point is that this actually ends up being the shape-shifting uh, uh, Shang Tsung from this Liu Kang's past from timeline. From Mortal Kombat 11's same Right, Shang so at this point we learned that it's, it's a twin timeline, and that they're, from each victor from that last fight, it's split into each of them being um, the Titans. So when it split, there was a version where Liu Kang won, and there was a version where Shang Tsung won. And he ends up taking the Emperor crown that they thought was going to be pivotal, ends up smashing it. He's like, this was a means to an end to get people here. Was there something you want to jump in with? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, so, well, I'll, I'll do two things as a stop. So one, Damashi is actually from Mortal Kombat Deception, and it almost plays out in not a similar fashion, but you play, in that game, you play someone called Shujinko, and it's like a big, um, it's called like Conquest. It's like a big storyline. And he spends like his whole life gathering this Kamidogu, th uh, thinking under the guise of there's uh, someone talking to him called Damashi that says they're from the Elder Gods cool. and they need his help collecting these artifacts. When he gets these artifacts, it turns out to be the evil ruler, the Dragon King Onaga, and he's using that to come back to life so that way he can get the Dragon Army back. Oh. And so he fooled Sujinko. So this is almost bringing in another game, Deception, into this, and it's almost like the same kind of thing with a Damashi. And then. If you didn't play the DLC, you wouldn't know that this Shang Tsung um, played into that. So in the DLC, Shang Tsung is trying to help them because they think they need the crown to be able to um, do the Sands of Time. And then that ultimately ends because uh, he ends up betraying all the heroes. He like drains Raiden. He drains Shujinko. He ends up killing uh, Shao Kahn and uh, Snell. Or I think he just drains them down to where they're 
almost dead and he's going to use them as pawns. But then that's what leads to that ultimate fight. That's not the ending of the original Eleven. That's the DLC aftermath. Excellent. So this might keep you around. Um, so then the battle breaks through and Shang Tsung, the, we'll just call him Dark Shang Tsung, or Titan Shang Tsung, has his minions fight and um, you end up smashing out through Raiden. But then Dark Sindel shows up and she whoops, she whoops on everybody. And when Dark Sindel ends up fighting uh, Empress Sindel, it's a decent little battle. But this is where, you know, she ends up stabbing Empress Sindel. And as she's slowly dying, Melina freaks out again and transforms. You end up fighting it. And at the end, when everyone kind of rushes up to Empress Sindel, she is dying. And this is where Jared has the ability to now... You know, they all have this special little moment. They're like, I'm glad we all had a moment, one last moment together. And she, he actually absorbs her soul saying that she's, you know, she's with him now and they'll be together for eternity. So now at this point, um, the Deadly uh, Alliance. I'll say, I, I wrote down a note. I kept calling him after this point. I got Jermac. <laughs> Jermac. I like that. At this point, the Deadly Alliance is realizing that they've been um, screwed over. They're not going to get, you know, there is no end goal now anymore. There is no promise of absolute power. So they agree for the time being that they will join forces and Shang Tsung, um, our Shang Tsung goes, you know, perhaps he's not as clever as, uh, Titan Shang Tsung isn't as clever as we thought. If there's twin timelines, then perhaps there's multiple timelines. And this is where you find out that Garrus says that, you know, if you're, if you want to look for that, you only the keeper of time is able to do that. And Liu Kang, you know, has to remind him, you know, I, I've given up that power where Garrus says, I thought you might one day, so I've actually withheld the power and placed it somewhere safe, not wanting to ever tempt you because, you know, you have a good life and I wouldn't want to ever tempt you with that. And then I love when uh, Luke Kang's like, you know, you know, you may have just saved us all, my friend. And they actually end up heading back to his temple where I believe it was, he's kept the power within a gift from Kung Lao. like The original base. Kung Lao, it's like a jade uh, panda or something yeah, like that. Yeah, jade panda. So at this point now, they are going back to um, give Luke Kang back the power of being the keeper of time and seeing what they can do in terms of finding new timelines. And that brings us an end of Act 3. Um, anything on that you want to add? No, I, I oh yeah, I, was, I actually really loved it in the real reveal of like a concurrent timeline, especially with that Shang Tsung, because then when he's talking, he's like, you promised us this and that. He's like, no, you're just pawns. I'm yeah. going to kill everyone in this timeline and absorb it into my own. That Even so, he, he could be ruler of his own timeline and have nothing to do with anything else, but because he knows that Liu Kang that bothered him so much is out Good. there that he's going to go out of his way to try to fuck everybody. Yeah, I did like that too. Like he's that hateful. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, dude, you, you rule your timeline. Like everyone's under you. He's like, but because he's still in existence somewhere, he's like, I'm coming and I'm going to just wipe yours out and take everything and just imbue it, take all the power and imbue it into mine, but I'm wiping you out. And I'm like, dude, that's gnarly. Like that's, like that's classic Shang Tsung. I didn't even think that that's who it was going to be. I didn't know where the story was going to go. But I really liked that idea a lot more than if it had been like a Chronica or something else. I was like, man, actually, this is really cool and it makes sense. And again, that's why I was saying that this Shang Tsung, this version that we get, is so good with like his voice acting and everything and all the screen time that he has. I'm like, I just want more and this was just giving me everything I wanted. Yeah, perfect. So with that, we move into um, the last act, which is Act 4, which is the shortest with only three chapters being um, The Deadly Alliance, The Time of Death, and Armageddon. So, uh, with that, uh, the first chapter would be 13, which is Deadly Alliance, where you're going to play Shang Tsung. You have four fights against Dark Kenshi, Dark Rain, Dark Scorpion, and Dark Shao Kahn. Your cameo fighter is going to be Quan Chi, and the stage throughout will be the Gateway uh, Knight. So, 
in Deadly Alliance, Johnny Cage starts off using this drone that he has to kind of scout out what's going on. They realize that this is such a big plan. They have these magic portals. They have an army going on. So uh, surprisingly enough, Scorp they asked Scorpion to devise a plan, and he kind of comes up with this, this plot for everyone to kind of split their forces to where they need to go. And what we focus on with Shang Tsung is they send the magic user, which are him, Quan Chi, and Raiden, to go destroy the portals. Now, as you're going on and fighting these dark battles, um, the Dark Alliance kind of gets into some stuff with rain and smoke, and Raiden actually ends up saving them. And um, during that, they realize that Shao Kahn is, for some odd reason, maybe you can explain it to me, his life force is actually what's feeding all the portals. So you go into another battle, Shao Kahn is actually about to beat Raiden, and the Dark Alliance actually save him and doing that they actually end up killing uh shao khan and raiko and i think did they use the line your soul is mine he did something which was pretty boss and at the end and this is a really quick chapter and at the end the dark alliance goes, deadly goes or the deadly alliance goes to go fight the dark army and that's kind of where that chapter ends so um anything you want to jump in there no, that was kind of like a shorter one. I mean, that really summed it up. I don't think there's anything special for the portals besides the fact that like he was just imbued with it. Unless maybe it's because uh, it couldn't be from the previous one because he's it's not even the same. It guy, did take so. everyone to do it though. So I mean, he was still kind of like if you're gonna put it in anybody, it might as well be Shao Kahn. I like that scene because they actually reuse that from another one because it's actually not even Shao Kahn. So in Deadly Alliance, they had killed Shao Kahn. This is from I think the start of Armageddon is. Um, no, no, it's the start of, I think, Deception. Um, it's Raiden versus Quan Chi and Shang Tsung. And he's kind of kicking their ass for, like, a little bit, but they overwhelm him and they, like, beat him in, like, a really cool way. But then that's when Onaga shows up and he's walking through and he's tough. And so they're doing their blast like they're doing and it's not enough. But then Raiden gets up and it takes all three of them to t kind of try to do something. But he's still too strong that they... Raiden does this thing that's almost like a self-destruct that's supposed to kill everything there. It doesn't kill Onaga but it just blasts out everything else in that castle that he's in. And so that was kind of like a rehash of that scene. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I like that they did it in that way. I also really like that, as, I, I don't think we mentioned it before, Liu Kang has kept Outworld a secret from Earthrealm, so they do not know anything about Earthrealm. He doesn't think ha humans can handle it, and that's just the way that it is, whereas everyone else is kind of aware of these other realms. But Melina is so fascinated by she's surrounded by oh, magic yeah. <laughs> she's so surrounded by magic and monsters and all this stuff but when johnny cage has this drone she's so just mind blown by technology yeah, she's like, what is this magic it's not magic technology yeah that was actually uh, a really cool spot there um let's see here so moving into uh chapter 14 which is time of death oh actually i want to ask you how did you like playing uh shang sung because this is the first time you actually get to play him and I did you like using a shape shifting ability? Because I thought that was actually I think it was like downright B or something like that. But like it was pretty cool playing him. I like doing that, but it's definitely different from the old version. But I did like you could still shoot his like skull out. Yeah, and I think too because I, I I tried using a little bit of it, so I would do like shape shift into the old version or shape shift into somebody else. But yeah, between the old and the other one, I I used the younger one a lot more than the old one. I was like, all right, dude, let, like let me just get these guys out of the way because when I was I'm sitting there trying to mess around the battles, like they're just kicking my ass. <laughs> all right, so chapter fourteen is time of death with Liu Kang with four battles fighting Dark Baraka, Dark Li Mei, Dark uh, Liu Kang, and Dark. Katana, your uh, cameo fighter is going to be Titan Katana. Your stages are going to be the Hourglass Intact as well as the Hourglass Damage. Now, uh, this one gets pretty interesting because this is where Liu Kang has finally regained his Titan power and he begins searching different timelines. And the first one he actually comes across is Katana, which 
in terms of the storyline are actually his katana because he points out to her that this is the same one that he fought along. That, what's he say? The same I, one that he fought in Shang Tsung's courtyard. Yeah. Battled alongside her in the Coliseum. Uh, Coliseum and beamed with pride when she became Outworld Khan. And I loved it when they ran up and started you know kissing each other. And they're like, why is you know why does fate and time like never let us? You know, get together, but it's like you know, this is this is the job. I wrote that down too. I was like, I love that they really because you always they kind of always have like their moments, 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 like kind of smaller ones. But this was like their big moment, and I'm like, man, I'm really glad to like see something kind of come to fruition. But also, what we can infer from this and some of the others that they've done, especially leading into later, in kind of what I liked is when you do Mortal Kombat's towers. Everybody always has like separate endings and they're never really like canon. You you might have one that is. That what we can infer from this and what they're saying is Liu Kang's won one because he says in what in some worlds Kano won. In this world, this person won. In yours, so you were the one who won. Timelines? So that they pretty much took everyone's endings of the last one and just made them all canonical. That's awesome. And this is gonna play into some notes that I have written later on too about this game. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. That's a cool idea. Because in the other ones, like Melina is Empress, and then she takes, like, Tanya as her wife, which is why I kind of hinted at that like, later. There's another one where, um, like, Jackie makes it so her father wasn't a revenant because in Eleven he's got that, like, PTSD, but that makes it so that way she is never born. And so there's all kinds of different things, but I was like, okay, that's cool because instead of having all these scattered what-ifs, they're all true in their own way, and you can take it at that. Yeah, that is actually fantastic. So uh, once he meets Katana, and they, they, she knows that you know he's not there for pleasantries. That they, uh, he tells her what's going on, and that they start gathering more titans. And then he, the first he gathers is Kung Lao and Raiden, and he explains what's going on. And he, he, they all agree that they need to stop Shang Tsung. But as this is happening, Titan Shang Tsung is appearing, and he's got a few of his you know his minions with him. And he realizes that he, you know, he, how did he let this slip that there are I like there would that. be multiple timelines. He's, you know, he let his blindness, you know, get in the way of, you know, his his anger with Liu Kang blinding him from that. There's possibilities of more timelines, and um, so right then and there he decides, well, if I can just wipe out your hourglass, then that will wipe out your timeline 100. So and I'll just go mess with everyone else. Yeah, yeah, then uh, yeah, just hunger for more. Yeah, wiping you out is fine. I'll, I'll then I'll dominate everybody else's, and from there this is where your your fights start kicking into place, and then. Um, at the end, when you're beating them, you know, it's Shang Tsung uh, messing with the hourglass. But then you have everybody coming in to kind of help save it. He get, he realizes defeat. He retreats for some reason. They let him do and just stand there and watch him, which I didn't really get. And um, both sides are kind of realizing that they need to gather armies from these different timelines. And which leads us in the next one where it's going to be the second battle of Armageddon, which they're heading to the Pyramid of Argus. So, um... Talk to me about the Pyramid of Argus and perhaps the first battle of Armageddon. Uh, Unless there's anything you want to say beforehand. I was going to say, I don't remember if it's in this chapter or the one before it where he's talking about recruiting Titans or if it's afterwards. The reason they let him retreat is because, because uh, I know Luke King says it in a line somewhere, is that they don't think that he would win and he needs help by getting these other people because he's tried to lead a peaceful timeline. Shang Tsung's entire timeline has been him with, with the knowledge that... Um, he it seems like he realized at first that um Liu Kang's timeline is there that he has spent his entire lot timeline training and getting these people ready for this moment to invade so they would just wipe him out because that's their sole purpose whereas he's just been leading a life of peace and only now kind of coming on to this yeah but they should have snagged Shang, uh, him before he got to his portal maybe but when I it was, when it was one on five <laughs> I, 
I understood it, and I just took the line. I'm like, okay, that's sure. it's, it's good enough reason. And then as far as the Pyramid of Argus, uh, that's when the original, that, that was the very last Mortal Kombat before they rebooted it with 9, and that's the War of Armageddon. And what it was, from like a loose understanding again, because you, you have the intros or whatever, is that this pyramid was built, and there was this dumb guy on top named Blaze, and whoever was supposed to beat him would receive the ultimate power, and this is the way to keep the world's from tearing apart because too many strong people are showing up. And so that's how Armageddon starts. You see all these people fighting their way from the top. Liu Kang is still like a zombie at this point and undead. Um, everyone's just kind of fighting each other. And then that leads into, I, I showed you the cutscene earlier, the, yeah. begin, the beginning of 9 shows everybody dead and slaughtered on the way up from fighting each other. That leads to the last two of just Raiden and Shao Kahn, which is a super dope scene. And I was like, damn, that's really cool to see this pyramid again. And I already know like it's going to be something insane. That, I love that. So um, the final chapter is uh, 15, which is Armageddon. And there is no particular fighter. You actually get to choose your fighter. So as we approach it, you have Liu Kang walking up with a bunch of different fighters behind him. And we can start seeing a peek at like some meshes of people, you know, two-in-ones kind of. So yeah. I'm just going to read this from... That was uh, cool. That was awesome. And we'll grab that. But I'm going to read this from MortalKombat.Fandom. The link will be in the description too if you guys want to check it out. It does a really good um, uh, summary. But... So I just want to read it because it kind of sums it up perfectly. It says, The final chapter fares differently than the others, allowing the player to choose any of any of all playable characters with the chapter showing the character climbing the pyramid of Argus while fighting nine opponents, which are all either meshes of two characters or alternate versions of currently existing characters. So when you reach the bottom of the pyramid, you have uh, Shang Tsung and Quan Chi on the top and they're dark Shang Tsung, dark Shang, yeah, or Titan Shang Tsung and Titan Quan Chi. Yeah. And he, you know, they open up their portal and they have a bunch of guys coming in and now this fight's about to start. So it wants you to pick, um, who you want to be out of any of the playable characters from MK1. So uh, this is definitely one of the funnest parts of the game. I, I finished, This is where it went off the rails. Yeah, I finished the first, because there's an achievement or a trophy to beat it twice. I did my first run through with Liu Kang. I did too. I, I feel did, like that's what everyone did, because I, I, I asked my other brother Ian who he you did. You have to. And it's like, I didn't know what was going to happen, so I just chose well, Liu and, Kang. And it was cool. It's a different Liu Kang. It's a different... Fire God Liu right. Kang. And then I, my second person was uh, Li Mei. Who did you choose? Sub-Zero. You did Sub-Zero. Okay, so I wanted to point this out because... Um, this is a point where there's a bunch of meshups of different people and different names where it's like a, uh, like a combination of them. And I was reading that there's, so during the battle of the nine battles, you see a total, uh, a possible total of 38 different variations of characters Loved it. with, with a possibility of having 32 fights, right? Some of them are just background characters that you see, uh, running around. And I wanted to tell this cause I, I pulled it up just to double check that it reminded me of, um, Amalgam comics. I don't know if you've read this. It was a mashup of DC and Marvel. Um, back in the day, it was like in 1996 and it would be when they did their crossover. So like Spider-Man and Superboy were Spider-Boy, Wolverine and, uh, it was Wolverine and Batman were Dark Claw and Superman and Captain no, America no were Super Soldier. Dude. So it was awesome. So when I'm watching this, I'm like, dude, there's a ton of them. So I just wanted to read uh, did any of them, did you write a couple of them that stood out? Because one of the ones that yes. caught my eye is there's a mix-up of um, Johnny Cage and Shao Kahn. John Connor. And his name was John Connor, yeah. dude. I love that. Because his all had kind of um, like actor names. Because he did another one with Ryko, and his name was Ryko Star, like Ringo Star. Yeah. So, and again, there's a bunch of different cool ones. Um, anybody that caught your eye? Uh, yeah, one of my, actually the first one, it just made me laugh because it was... Um, Scorpion and Kung Lao mix, and it's called Stung Lao. Stung Lao, yeah. That one was hilarious. And then um, 
uh, there's like a girl Ermac. I don't. Do you fight that one every time? Because both times I did it, I fought that one, and I also fought. I think it's like LM LMK five seven two or something, which is the robot version of Smoke. Oh, LK seven seventy two. Yeah, something yeah. like that. That one I fought both times. I did. I was as soon as he showed up, I was like, oh damn, that's so cool to see that version. But then you see in cutscenes is unplayable ones. You have like. Uh, the mime Johnny the mime, Cage, Johnny Cage is Jan- Janet Cage yeah. is the chick. Um, yeah, there was a couple of really good ones. Ooh, there, I, was, there was a guard. There was a, instead of a god of thunder, you were the guard of thunder, and you were Lee Mei mi- mixed with uh, Raiden. Frostbite was Natara mixed with Sub Zero. Dude, Shao Zero was Shao Kamba Zero. I so, fought. I fought Shao Zero, and then I had um, one that I thought was really funny was a uh, Gearus and Reptile, and it's called Clocodile. Oh, dude, yeah, that was so good, and then. There was a what was the other one? I liked uh, Red Dragon, which was Liu Kang and Kano. Um, oh, I had Fire, a Fire Cage, was Liu Kang and Johnny Cage. I had a Kang Quan, which is Quan Chi and Liu Kang. Oh, what was the one? There was oh Quantum Chi, which was Garrus and Quan oh, Chi yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. There, so there's a lot of cool variants, and yeah, I'm like, dude, this is so dope. This was the best part of the game because you can start seeing all these mixes up of people. Which was um, I put real- it up there in top Mortal Kombat moments with <laughs> those ones we were talking about earlier. Yeah. I was like, dude, this is. Almost on par with that scene. Like that scene just came out of nowhere, so that's always gonna be my favorite. But it's right there. Yeah. So this is ending with a with a great final um, of these battles, and so eventually, as you as you're reaching the top of the pyramid, you're you run into Titan Quan Chi and, and Titan Shang Song as the final as the final fights, and um, your version of Shang Chi and, and and Quan Chi, Shang Tsung and Quan Chi, try to help, and they do a good job. But as they turn around and tell you to help get up the pyramid, I think they they rip their yeah. their skeletons out. So Right then and there, we know that those versions of, are are now dead. And as you do the fight, um, there's one version of it, and then afterwards they end up kind of sub, um, subduing Liu Kang. So you fight the last one by yourself without a cameo. You end up beating it. Uh, Liu Kang comes up to you, gives you his praise, gives you his thanks, and then the timeline begins to rupture and start shaking. So as it ends, he pushes whatever character you chose back into your timeline. And then as we cut to the very ending... It shows everybody, um, Luke, uh, Johnny Cage, Raiden, uh, Liu Kang, Kenshi, and Kung Lao are all back at Madame Bo's tea shop, um, all kind of rehashing what was going on. Johnny Cage is saying that he's in the development of making a Mortal Kombat movie, and they're all kind of you know joking with it. Liu Kang says that he's going to go out and he needs to reset the differences or the defenses of the Earth Realm, and then it ends with uh, Madame Bo asking who's going to pay the final. Bill, and then we kind of go into credits, and we'll go into after that. But I mean, how do that ending for me was just it was just so insane. And again, Mortal Kombat doesn't need to make a lot of sense for me, but I'm like, dude, that was awesome. It's just it, like this was totally like what Eleven was. From like, dude, I could ne- I never even thought like, oh, there's multiple timelines and uh, in this sense, and that this is what's happening. Whereas like, I never even thought about people made again because some people are changing this one already, but not a crossover. And now there's all these different variants. I was like, dude, that was so dope. Yeah, it was it was extremely awesome, and which leads more questions. And we'll get into that in a second. But I do want to before we do pros and cons and end our final thoughts. I there is a post credit scene. That happens, and what happens is it goes back to the Pyramid of Argus, and these these group of people appeared, and they're kind of looking over all the bloodshed, and the leader who is now Lord Havoc, who looks awesome in his gear with his messed up face, who's accompanied by, and I looked it up to see who exactly who it was, is a mixture of, because they don't give everyone's name, a Quan Chi Sub Zero mix, a Tanya Katana mix, and a Kenshi Kano mix, and the Kenshi Kano character um, talking to Lord Havoc says. It looks like this all ended too fast, and then Lord Havoc 
you know, looks up at the screen and says, the next time it won't. So clearly implying that we're going to do a Mortal MK2, if that's what they want to call it, MK2 or MK anything. But so it is set up for an, another one. It's not a final one. So before we get into the final thoughts, um, how'd you like that post-credit scene? Because I remember you texted me, you're like, uh, I heard there's a post-credit scene, make sure you watch it. And then when I beat it, I texted you, I'm like, oh yeah, there's a post-credit scene. Yeah, I love that. It seemed like they just reveled in like the fight. They're like, oh, you know, that was great. Like, too bad it was short-lived. And there's like an armless version of Jax that's like a young oh, one yeah, still yeah. there. And Lord Havoc just crushes his head before he's like, oh, next time it won't be. And I would like Havoc to, if I don't know if they would do DLC or if maybe that'll be, like, the next story. I think he would make a great villain because, again, this this version of Havoc, what it seems like, he's not good or evil. He just believes in chaos, in chaos and sowing chaos. And to some people that he's freeing from fascism and stuff like that, he's a hero, revolutionary. Whereas, depending on him, if you look at him from the other side, he's, you know, just this guy that's fucking everything up and doesn't believe in anything and a killer and he's just not good so he's just somebody who doesn't believe in anything besides chaos like that would be a really cool villain because that that's you're not right or wrong it's it's your point of view because he's not trying to rule anybody he's just trying to create this chaotic moment i'm like dude that would be insanely dope because again on your point of view is he good or is he bad right so um that is the end guys of the of the chapters and the post-credit scene so I just kind of wound it up with our thoughts and then some pros and cons of what we liked overall. Do you want to start with cons or pros? Oh, actually, I wanted to say one other oh, yeah, thing. Sure. So, And I, I meant to tell you this, but I forgot. That if you get a chance and what you can infer from this if you want more story is just like the other one, it seems like all the endings of this one are canon as well too. So if you want more information on maybe some of the stuff left out. So when I, I just went through and watched endings them. Endings of what? You're talking about towers? Yeah, the, okay. the tower endings. I just do them on easy and I just beat it so I can see people's stuff. But I just watched a video on it the other day. I'm like, okay, I did it with one person and it was a continuation of the story. It was uh, I did it with uh, Sub-Zero. He escapes. And then he ends up starting the cyber initiative again oh, see, now I under the Lin Kuei that if you watch everybody else's towers, Melina becomes, uh, well, sorry, spoiler for you. <laughs> Melina becomes Empress and um, she, uh, I don't know if it's hers or Baraka's, I, I, I forget, I'd have to watch it again. But she finds out about these people living in squalor, in Tarkat and stuff. She reveals that she is Tarkat to her people and over time they accept her and she goes out of her way to be a good empress Excellent. and to help these Tarkatans and stuff. So it seems like all of these endings too are considered canon. Cause there's mm-hmm. nothing that's like crazy out there. They're all like general Shao Kahn like escapes. And then he tries to rally up like a new army to try to overthrow outworld. So it's nothing like extreme. It just seems like a continuation of where the story would go. I'm like, that's cool. I like these endings a lot more than like Shao Kahn is now a hundred feet tall and he's a giant dragon yeah. and no one could stop him that these are all canonical and when you're beating them you're getting more information for the game so I would just go watch it and it was like a 30 minute video I'm like oh so dope because it, it continues a, a lot of the little story yeah threads. there's like 20 playable characters 20 plus playable characters so yeah that's a lot of good a lot of good uh, um, alternate things that can I was like, on, so. watch them there's some pretty cool ones in there so do you want to do cons or pros um you want to end on pros Yes, because okay. I like this game a lot more than I would dislike it. Yeah, so I'm, well, again, it's not so much what I'm disliking. It's like what I think that it kind of missed out on. So my first con, do you have, did you make a list at all? Did I tell you to make a list of pros and cons? No, you didn't. So you now I'm, I'm going off the fly. Okay, so my first con was um, the game does feel a tad bit rushed. You know, the game is tight, and I love the storyline, but I feel like they skipped over a bunch of people. Again, I'm referencing back to, like, the Kodo and Shiva, uh, Kodo Khan and Shiva. They kind Mataro, of, yeah. They, they glossed over uh, Nitara and... Um, at the end where it's like, well, how much time went by for him to get all these armies, you know, to kind of amass? And I'm glad that we skip over things like that. 
But for me, I felt like some of it was like we skipped over a couple characters that I thought, you know, for a game that you can beat in six hours, another hour of something I don't think would have hurt it at all. Right, especially because I know, I think 11 and X aren't as long. I think they may be about the six-hour mark. But I know 9, especially redoing 1 through 3, 9 was a a longer one. Nice. You want me to just finish mine and then you can kind of chime in with yours? I was going to say, I agree. Out of those, the most that I agree with would be Natara. I would like to see more screen time with her. And I almost wonder if that was part of the problem is bringing Megan Fox in here because no one's playing the game for Megan Fox. So if it meant her having more screen time and talking to maybe some of these people have a history with her or just her talking, uh, just even still being there more and defending her side of everything, I would have liked to see that with some known name actress than to have Megan Fox in there. Yeah, it's a waste of money that you're doing. Um, the other one I, I thought was a, maybe more of a missed opportunity is I, there should have been, I think, some villain missions because you don't get to play uh, General Shao. You don't get to play Rain at all. That's only going to be post-game when you're fighting online where there's there's a couple of times like when Sub-Zero and Scorpion get caught, right? They, they don't win. That so would be cool if they should, flipped yeah, it, yeah. There should yeah. have been missions where you were playing Shao coming in and you fight smoke outside and you fight, you know, remember, you know, the Lin Kuei guards and then you come in and you fight Scorpion and Sub-Zero. It would have been cool to play some of the villains, not necessarily that they're winning, but that they, you know, you get to kind of play them. I thought that would have been really cool to kind of see. I like that idea. Yeah. And then the other one was um, at the end when he, when, when Liu Kang pushes your guy through and he goes, oh, this timeline is falling apart because it can't exist without Shang Tsung being alive. Well then, how are Havoc and then there? That was the other thing I didn't get either because I think Perfectly he does. Stable, I yeah. think he does do something in the hourglass, and I don't think he fixed it. I think he just was like destroying it. So I'm not sure about that. And again, maybe that'll be DLC or next. And then game. the last thing I wanted to point out is this, and because you were bring up the chaos and order, they need. I think they need to do more realms. Like I want to see Nether Realm. You know, what I mean, I, I want to see the chaos realm. You know, instead of just being Outworld and Earth Realm, like I want to see some other things and not just timeline skipping. I want to see the rest of what is up for grabs. That's something they haven't done since Mortal Kombat Deception, and that's what I was talking about, is you're playing, not like top-down, but almost like kind of like a third-person top-down, and you're running around as this dude talking to every major Mortal Kombat person, and you go through all the realms, and your dude's like life is like passing him by. So like you start, when you, I think when you start off with him, he's like 18, and by the time you end the game, he's like 65, oh. because he's spent his whole life trying to get all these things only to be betrayed, and that's what made it so cool. But you do go through... The order, like the yeah, order, realm of order, and all that stuff. One, I no, say, that, uh, I would like to see more of that. So yeah. I do agree with that. That'd um, be, that'd be cool. the last of my, you know, my cons. If I had, you know, any big thing, nothing, nothing that sways me from liking the game. Nothing that made it awesome. Just a couple of things I'd like to maybe see in future renditions. Or they'll see that maybe I think the wrong way. The big one that bugged me the most was just not finding out who killed Jared because that seems like such an important pivotal moment. And not a why wouldn't you ask him that question when you get another chance to speak with the dead? Like why wouldn't you do something oh, yeah. like that? <laughs> I guess that, you could have. That is that was really my biggest thing. Yeah, because scene. he even says he goes, it wasn't it wasn't her fault. When he goes, Lee May, you're like, no, she was it wasn't her it wasn't her fault. But like, yeah. okay, but what else happened? Yeah, but what happened? And that was the biggest thing I'm like, well why didn't anyone ask him that? And that's something that I thought was gonna play like a big point into the game, but then it just didn't. Right. And it just bugs me, and, and again, it just bugs me on a personal level. I'm like, well, who the fuck killed you? Yeah, man? but that would have been a thousand-year scheme in the making. Yeah. So, <laughs> And then, other than that, mm, I think I just wish I got more Lucane Katana time and finally maybe get a good ending or more of like them, especially now that he knows whatever's out there. Instead of bolstering defenses, I'm going to make, now that everything seems fine, maybe I can enjoy myself maybe for a little tower. bit or something. Maybe it's Luke King's tower ending. <laughs> I, I don't remember what it is. I'd have to go look it up again. As far as my pros, um, for number one is, they did an excellent job of rebooting these characters. Everybody was uh, it was awesome and like great day design. Yeah, like like you were saying how I know some guys that used to have their time in every other game. You know, like General Shao, he's not 
as big as powerful as it used to be. But now we're getting looks on a bunch of other characters that maybe never got their time of day. Um, adding the meshes at the end um, seems like that's to me is where MK2 is going to be, and it's going to be about you know instead of having a roster where it's just Johnny Cage, this roster is going to be now a bunch of mixed characters, and I really dig that because I mean there'd be no reason to introduce all of that if you're not going to do something with all of that, and then and which leads me to the final point of leaving that there's these open storylines. So again, the Jared thing would be one. Um, clearly, Scorpion and Sub Zero's unfinished storyline. Ashra's unfinished storyline with like you know the Nether Realm. It's like I, I I'm hoping all that it's it's so well done and open ended that there's plenty to do for the next one, especially if you're going to be involving you know a mixed version of Havoc and and Kenshi and and Kano and things like that. So um, I really think that they left a good open door for the storylines that were left on the table as well as wrapping up the full campaign that we got to play. Especially with having it like I'll say it too. So this will be one of my pros is. Uh, for having rebooted it like another time, the story was great. At no point was I bored. Yeah, no. I, I was always dying for like the next little bit. I remember just staying up late, and I'm like, you know, I'm gonna be tired at work tomorrow. But I need to like at least get another chapter because I just ended on this part, and like I I need to know what's gonna happen. But as far as my other pro, beautiful game. Like it looks Gorgeous. so good, and a not lot on of Switch, the, but... a lot of the yeah, not on Switch, but a lot of the facial animations, especially like Shang Tsung Quan Chi's. You mentioned like Sindel for me, stole like it. certain people. It, they just look so good. The voice acting is good for most people, like except for Natar is like really the only one that's like ah. But it, you can tell that they really took their time with this. And again, just like what they did with Injustice Two, or even uh, MK Eleven, is they're constantly pushing the boundaries forward on what can be done. Like not just hey, we got the story, but how can we make a fighting game look beautiful? And then just be on almost like the forefront of like facial technology, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, I 100% agree. I would never expect job. something like that from people whose their primary thing is fighting games. That almost seems like it's a Naughty Dog sort of thing. And I would give some of this a run for like Naughty Dog's money. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was excellently done. Well well done for uh, for the studio. And, and MK1 was a fantastic game. So guys, that is the end of our review, our spoiler cast, our breakdown of what the story was about, how we enjoyed it. Leave down in the comments below. If you guys have played it, what you guys thought of it. So, guys, with that down and out of the way, uh, my name is Craig Perales. This is Manju Montemayor. Check us out on our weekly gaming show podcast, Last Call Gaming. And until next time, guys, cheers. See you out there.